0: Cinema Oddities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times they crash, hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben.
1: And I've been warned that if I let you sit at this table, I might regret it. A quote that we should keep in it's the true. back of our heads for any time we have a guest on this podcast, I think. <laughs> uh, well, that, and that, that is also something I think we can usually say to each other as well. Uh, we I feel like we usually come to regret something about the things we watch. <laughs> uh, we, we very rarely do uh, perfect movies. But this week is an exception, Ben. I think you and I are both in agreement this is a perfect movie.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know why you think that.
1: Um, I don't even think this is a perfect movie. I think that's why I love it so much. Is that it's one of the strangest things. Uh, but of course, we are here to talk. Well, everybody's seen the uh the the title of the episode.
0: Unless they got it on autoplay, autoplay. Don't oh, be, don't, th- assume, okay, don't be assuming fair. they're not just listening to us all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, just looping through. Uh, but we are here to talk revolver the Beatles album. So Ben, what did you think of Revolver the Beatles album? <laughs> uh
0: I'm not ready for this conversation. Okay. Turns out I didn't watch that movie. <laughs> I didn't know there was a movie called Revolver the Beatles album.
1: Oh, that's it's it's a great it's a it's a great movie. No, <laughs> uh, no, Revolver's actually my uh, my favorite Beatles album, but no, we're talking one of my favorite movies. It's Revolver. It's Jason Statham guy, Richie. We're going to get into it all because this is of course still in our Jason Statham series. Uh, but I, I've been talking about this movie for a while on Cinemodities. I think this is one of the ones that I've wanted to do ever since the start of this podcast, because I've always been like, oh, not only is it one of my favorite movies that I really want to talk about, it's fallen into the category, uh, and you know, has in the past and still does, and will forever, I think, that this is definitely something I would consider a pure Cinemodity. This movie is... So strange in basically every dimension that it exists in. Um, and I am so glad that we finally get to dive into it. And um so glad that uh, I finally get to hear Ben's thoughts on it and breakdown in it. But, I, of course, I think, you know, before we get into the meat of the movie, there is one thing that is, I think, probably the most important. It's the Jason Statham of it all. And it's the Jason Statham with hair of it all. What do you think of Jason Statham with hair, Ben? <laughs>
0: I think his forehead is rather large. <laughs> um, i i I'm curious if it's like actually his hair. I didn't look it up at all. It seems like a weird decision to like make him grow out hair for this role. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look terrible. It doesn't even look bad necessarily, but it definitely looks kind of weird,
1: yeah, I would agree and and I wanted to start with this because with when we've talked so much Statham uh, so far, I really want to get into the fact that well, this is I think his only movie where he has hair. And I think I'm with you that it doesn't look bad, but I'm definitely biased because I've seen this movie so many times. And I'm trying to think back to when I first saw it, if I had any thoughts on like, Oh, it's with hair, him with hair. But I think it's just weird because when you picture Jason Statham, you picture him with the bald head, or at least like, some thin hair on it at the slightest, right? It, it, it might be yeah. like, we're so used to it that this is just immediately like, it's like looking at, I, I know I've, I've told you this quote before, but it's like, it's like looking at somebody who doesn't have eyebrows, you know, something's not quite right, but it might take you a little bit to figure out what's not quite right.
0: <laughs> uh Sure. Well, it's and that's something like, Statham isn't always bald. Like sometimes his head shaved, Sometimes his hair is just really short. Yeah, yeah. I think um, in,
1: in, what is it? I think Crank, it's really short, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, which actually caught me a little off guard, because I remembered him being bald in Crank, but he's not. <laughs> it's just very short. Yep. But no, so it's it's uh it's definitely a little weird to see him with, with hair that's probably, like, what, over three or four inches long, I think, in this movie? Oh,
1: yeah. It's, 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 it's like, to his shoulders, right?
0: You know, I didn't pay that close attention. <laughs> okay. He wears it, like, pulled, not, like, pulled back, but, like, back over his head but it like sticks up quite a bit in the front like you might expect from like a 60s ladies hairdo but (laughs) sure i think that's what he was going
1: for jason uh, guy richie was like jason i'm thinking you're gonna look like a 60s lady in this movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's kind
0: kind of like a pompadour sure Uh, sure but you know but it's it's uh It's not quite as intense, but anyway, you know, so it's, it's weird seeing him with that long hair for sure.
1: Oh, definitely. I I think though it is used to, um, to great effect. I I think in in his performance, I think there's some scenes, especially near the end of the movie where like him, him having hair lets him, you know, and putting it in different uh, positions or like styling it differently, um, adds a lot to it. Uh, But it's just, it's the thing (laughs) that I wanted to say at the start, like I, I mentioned, because this is the movie where either nobody knows about this movie. Either you say like, "Oh, Revolver," and they'll be like, "What's that?" I mean, like the Guy Ritchie movie, and they'll be like, "I've never heard of it." Or you say, "Oh, you know, like the movie Revolver," and people go, "The one where Jason Statham has hair." <laughs> like that is one of the defining things about this movie. And um, like I said, I think it's the only time he's had well, like you said, hair this long, which is fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's intriguing. That. That's what people remember about this movie. I, I like. I read that article you sent me, and I, I looked up some stuff about this movie. Mm-hmm. My general take on this movie is that it's not well understood
1: by um, uh, like critics and audiences. You mean?
0: Yeah. Well, so let me let me rephrase yeah, that. I yeah, guess sure. there are quite a few people who think they like very adamantly think they know what it's about. Okay. I think they are they are grasping <laughs> with some of their conclusions.
1: Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: So anyway, we'll have to discuss that more. And I don't know, you. you I feel like this movie is a lot about nothing, and in part it's because I think that it's based on some premises about the ego that I disagree with. Okay, sure. So I don't know if, if you want to get into that now, um, what, like, the the end, like, during the credits when we see, like, Deepak Chopra and and what he has to say about the ego.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay.
0: So, like, basically they're saying that, that the ego is, like, the source of all suffering and that... Uh, you have no external enemies, only like internal projections of your, or only external projections of your ego. Yeah. And, like, that's what hurts you. And it's like there are there are times where the way you see the world is the problem. Um, and, and that's why uh, there's, the, you know, the, I think the famous quote in the Bible, which I which I prefer, is if your eye offends, you uh, pluck it out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which essentially can be thought of to mean as if the way you view the world is bothersome to you. You should maybe change the way you view the world. I don't think that one can say with that level of certainty that you have no external enemies.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: I I think that that just like severely overlooks um, the fact that evil does exist uh, or that people can do evil things. And uh, I don't think for instance, you know, the most exaggerated um, instance of this, I I don't, I don't think Hitler was a projection of, of the Jewish ego. (laughs)
1: Okay, I like that. I like that analogy or comparison for sure, or example. Yeah, but I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I, and I do agree with you. I, I think you said it right. Where there are instances where you know you have these projections of evil, but that's not to say that there is no outward evil.
0: Right, and it, it's it seemed like if you look at the quotes from Deepak Chopra and those other like they were all like doctors or PhDs or like MDs and stuff, and yeah. I was like, I don't know how you got through grad school believing something like that <laughs> like i think just having been in grad school they should understand that there is real evil external to, to them because grad school is evil
1: <laughs> right, right but then they wouldn't be famous and get published by uh the people who <laughs> who uh think just as pretentiously as they do
0: right uh so so that was like i don't know it's like they seemed to like fully believe this there was no like qualifying to their statements they weren't yeah. like they didn't say, you know, there are times that you should re- analyze the way that you're viewing the world and and discovered that you may have a problem there. And, like, they, they could have even gone so far as to say that, like, before you ascribe your problem to an external source, you should determine whether it could be from an internal source. But they, they don't give it any kind of qualifiers. They're just like, there are no external problems. And I'm like, I think I <laughs> sure. think maybe you've never been poor. Like, I don't... like
1: Never been I, mugged, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like...
0: <laughs> you know if you're unable to afford food like i think that you're gonna you you've got some external problems you know and maybe maybe you can argue that at some point they they can be reduced back down to decisions you made etc etc but that's probably not even true sure. because you know i mean you can just i you can come up with an example where through no fault of, of your own um you experience hardship uh and it it could be because somebody is evil, or it could just be because of, like, circumstance. Mm-hmm. But to say that there's no external problems and that your only enemy is your ego is, I think, is, is, uh, uh, stupid. Like, it's, sure. it's, it's a stupid thing to say. It's very it's, tunneled.
1: Absolutely. Yes. No, I'm, I'm with you, and I'm glad you, um, bring this up. And just to keep, keep going with this, I, I think that the, um, I don't remember if they say anybody says it explicitly in this, you know, end credits talking a uh, little like, you know, uh, info that we get from, like you said, the MDs and the psychiatrists and stuff. I'm not sure if it's explicitly said, but I have heard in relation to this idea where it's like you said, even if something evil happens through circumstance or no fault of your own, um, the people that truly believe this would say, well, it is in some way the fault of your own because of karma or the notion of karma.
0: I, I think you have to be an idiot.
1: I'm, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you, Ben. I'm just. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> no, I. No,
0: I, I'm with you. And like I, like I said, you know, there there are situations where it's like maybe you can, you can go several steps back and find where you made a mistake and and yeah. do something better in the future, whatever. But that doesn't mean that there aren't malicious people. Yes. And yeah, like there there, point of fact, are malicious people. And I don't know. Maybe you could make some argument about Hitler being the projection of the Jewish ego because. He was able to convince an entire country that that they had to go uh, in part because of really just scapegoatism. But I mean, I think he I think he used their like lending practices as one like point of example. Yeah. And so like, I don't know, maybe, but it's like that. I, I don't know if you're walking down that path. I think. I think you've you've lost the plot.
1: No, I'm I'm with you. It also makes me think of I know we've talked about it before that the the notion of the brass teapot, the movie, uh in which the the titular brass teapot is this teapot that if you have and you hurt yourself like if you cause physical pain to yourself or someone around the teapot, it will produce money. And the movie posits that it was in the possession of Hitler during World War II and he was killing and you know torturing all those people so it would create a lot of money. And I I remember watching that movie and I'm like this is deeply problematic.
0: <laughs> yeah that that might that might be as offensive as the Holocaust itself.
1: <laughs> yeah, that movie when I remember when it got to the point in the movie because the premise is like oh this this poor couple gets this brass teapot and they have to like progressively like hurt themselves more to get like make money and I'm like that's an interesting idea and then it turns into this thing about World War II and Hitler's motivations and I'm like oh no movie <laughs> I'm like who you should have had somebody like you know checking you because <laughs> you've wrecked yourself
0: <laughs> yeah that's crazy
1: yeah but but you're I think what you're saying about like the 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 projection of the Jewish ego is you're absolutely right and I think there's a lot of other instances of like you know whether they be like very micro or macro horrible experiences in the world you can't you know like you said it, it is it is foolish to get them all down to this this um this projection of, of the ego or something like
0: that right yeah I mean look- chairman Mao, the fucking uh was it the the gulags the decolonization of of russia yeah like there there have there has been evil enacted upon people by other people since the beginning of time and and to assert that your problems are only your ego and they don't even so this is something else that i find very strange they're not even using ego in the like psychological sense Mm mm-hmm so in in psychoanalytic theory, the portion of the human personality which is experienced as the self or I and is in contact with the world through external perception is the ego. Yeah. But they, but they're talking about the uh, if you if you look into one of the guys who wrote a book, like the ego is the enemy, and he uh, that's Ryan Holiday, and the way he defines the ego, um, it's like it's like they're they're kind of convoluting the two uh, because. Okay because in the psychoanalytic realm it's like the ego is the thing that is experienced as the self Mm -hmm. and in this movie they're like it's been there so long you think it's you it's like well it actually is you um, if you're looking at the psychoanalytic one but they're talking about the ego as um, Mm -hmm. what the fuck I don't know if I'm going to be able to find (laughs) find it Uh,
1: there's a song called Ego by Tribe Called Quest I can play that (laughs) (laughs)
2: Skip the chip in my mind. Ego, ego, skip the chip in my mind. Ego, ego, chip the chip, chip chip of ego. Ego. I got one, you got one, and now we ego Sometimes it makes you trip out on your people. Sometimes it has connotations that evo. Sometimes it gets called on it when they need to. It's called ego.
1: I could sing it. I only know ego, ego. I don't know the words.
0: (laughs) Okay, so the ego – what do we mean when we discuss ego uh, as holiday writes, The ego we see most commonly goes by a more casual definition. An unhealthy belief in our own importance, arrogance, self-centered ambition. It's that petulant child inside every person, the one that chooses getting his or her own way over anything or anyone else. Mm Mm-hmm. The need to be better than, more than, recognized for, far past any reasonable utility, that's ego. In the sense of superiority and certainty, that exceeds the bounds of confidence and talent. So, it's like this movie, I, I feel like Guy Ritchie heard about the, the book The Ego is the Enemy, and then remembered what he learned about ego from Psych 101, and like kind of conflated the two things.
1: Okay, okay. No, I see, I see what you're saying, yeah.
0: Because like what what Ego is the Enemy and the people who believe this, they're referring to self-arrogance and mm. uh an 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 unhealthy belief in one's own importance i think is is maybe the key of that definition sure and um that yeah. is not at all what the sense of self is i i think that this movie posits that there's this voice in your head that you think is you which would which could be the actual psychoanalytic ego mm-hmm. um but that it is actually this this inflated sense of self-importance Pretending to be you or something like that, and that it's in charge. And it's like there, are, yeah, there are times where that is the case, but that's not the case for everybody. Sure, um, sure. It's and it's it's not the case. It, it, so it, anyway, I, I guess I, that's where I where I have a lot of trouble with this is I I think that teasing apart what he means from the psychoanalytic ego is challenging because it's I don't I don't know that he has the fullest understanding of them gotcha yeah yeah. and you know and and I'm open to the idea that I'm missing something because it it could be like just as I'm even talking about it it's like well maybe maybe he really is only talking about that sense of self-importance and and then it pretending to be you and then you being like your actual psychoanalytic ego being comfortable with it as as acting as if it were you or something like Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I'm not sure
1: this might be this might be tough to answer, but did you have the, these thoughts and like like you said, maybe like the he's not fully he's melding these two together in some in, you know, strange or maybe misunderstood way. Did you did you get this like from the movie and then it was just kind of like it, it doubled down for you when you got to that ending with the um, the the psychiatrist and stuff talking about it? Or was did, was like did the psychiatrist stuff at the end kind of gel that all together for you?
2: Uh,
0: like while well, you were
1: going through the movie, were you like, you know, oh, this seems like he's conflating two incorrect
0: things. Well, while, while I was watching the movie, um, you know, they, they Andre uh, 3000 yes, at some yeah. point tells him, you know, that you you're 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 used to that voice like you've been hearing that voice so long that that you think it's you. So they started talking and, and like I think they mentioned the actual word ego. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, but the ego is you. That's like that's where I'm getting confused because my my initial interpretation or my initial impression is that they're using the psychoanalytic term. Sure. Because that's the one I'm more familiar with, and and then it's like, well, maybe I can't relate to these characters because they have an ego that is in charge of them, like a an un, an inflated sense of importance that is in charge of them. Mm-hmm. Which the main character does seem to have an inflated sense of importance, you know, with with regards to like he thinks he he can make Maka pay yeah you yeah know, it's like he has to pay for what he did to me it's like well I don't, maybe that's a waste of time that's probably not a good good way to spend your energy or time but yeah so maybe like maybe it's just that i can't relate with these characters because the voice that i have inside is me sure
1: yeah yeah i know what you're saying the
0: the the thing i experience as myself is me and it doesn't come with a with an inflated sense of self-importance at least not very commonly. And then, I mean, there are, don't get me wrong. There are times where, like, something like that will kind of prick up. And I, and I can be like, that's not a good that's not a good way to spend my time. You know, that's not a good thing to be doing. Sure, yeah. And, you know, even sometimes I'll indulge in it. And then later I'm like, that was, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that in the future. That kind of thing. But So, like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just can't relate with the characters. Because now that I'm thinking about it, like, especially after I've, I've said all this, it's like, m- maybe maybe these characters are supposed to be people that need to confront they uh, I, I don't want to keep using the word ego. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I would like to, to have a different word to, to specify the non-psychoanalytic ego. Let's, I, I don't know, I guess from this point forward, I'll just try to specify when I mean psychoanalytic sure. and I'll use the word ego when I don't.
1: The ego. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. The ego.
0: Uh, so maybe, maybe these people have an ego that, um, they just really runs their life. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would say that if you're a person whose ego really runs your life, you probably do fall into this category that most of your problems are your own fault.
1: Sure, okay, yeah, I like, I I like s- what you're saying, yeah, yeah. I still wouldn't say
0: all, so I think that that's like a, a shallow analysis or whatever. Um, and it, it's only, like, they I think they say it as if it's generally true, but I think it's only applicable to people who have a, an out-of-control ego. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, I, I like, like calling it the... Yeah, I was just about to say I like calling it ego because then the premise of this movie becomes Lego your ego. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh
1: man, that's really good. Uh, that should have been a line from uh, Vincent Pastore in this movie. Lego your ego. <laughs> so so the the reason I asked about if you were having this thought during the movie and and versus the um it's voiceover right like the credits are playing and, and there's and there's you get the the words from the um psychiatrists and stuff
0: there's video There's video also. yeah,
1: yeah, um so the reason I asked about that specifically is because um uh something i've I've only known for a little bit, not too long, um is that there are uh, two different versions of this movie. Most of the differences are in uh, some of the orders of scenes, and I think just some of how the length of scenes play out, which aren't, from what I've I've seen, not too important, that type of thing. Maybe some of the ordering of the scenes can, you know, change how the story's told and stuff like that. Um, but the primary difference is that uh, between these two versions, uh, one being the original cut and then one being the director's cut— is that inclusion of the psychiatrist speaking uh, during the end credits. And, oh, okay. And not only is does that not exist in this other version of the movie, there are no end credits at all in the other version of the movie. Um, the other version of the movie basically cuts to black... Once, um, you know, Jason Statham goes and c- confronts Ray Liotta when he has the girl in his weird blue sauna room or whatever, or pool room, and um, it just cuts to black, and then there's about just three minutes of a black screen with piano music playing over it. That is the version I saw originally. That is the version I watched the first time, and... I think not only because that I saw this version that did not have this, um, the actual, you know, academic speaking about the, the themes or the ideas presented in this movie. I, have just come to over the years see this movie as something different than I think what you're saying what the 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 academics are speaking about it and the people online who are like you said grasping at the ideas I I have taken this movie I, and I've also I've agreed with pretty much everything you said like you said the the tunnelled and short sightedness of you know the e- projection of the ego. For as long as I've loved this movie, and i've I've known about this movie for a while, maybe like two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve 2012, uh, this was actually I saw this around the same time. I know I mentioned it on our Patreon, but I was in my on campus college apartment just alone for a holiday break in my undergrad, and I just watched a bunch of movies. One of them was Being John Malkovich. One of them was Revolver. Um, And so I found all these movies where I was like, oh, God, these are awesome. And Revolver was the one I was like, that was, it blew me away. I mean, for not only the themes of it, but for a lot of the Guy Ritchie of it, which I I know we'll get to. But as I saw it the first time, and as I watched it more and more and, and came to enjoy it, I've seen this movie as a very, maybe like more of a parable, I guess, a parable of, uh, Buddha, like Buddhist principles and reaching enlightenment, and I've taken this this, e- this ego as we have in this movie to be the part of you emphasized to by the the, the screenplay and the script and, and the movie itself emphasized to be this you know not you or this thing controlling you, tricking it into thinking that it's you. The emphasized version of what you need to get rid of to reach the you know Buddhist notion of enlightenment, which is getting rid of you know the desire for material material possessions the desire for money and you know there's all that talk in this movie about you know um i i jake green statham's character is like i know i'm gonna die but i still don't want to part with all my money and why is this so difficult why am i so attached to these materialistic things and then mm-hmm. the end of the movie being jason statham reaching enlightenment you know that whole elevator scene of him fighting with his his ego And basically being able to tamper it down versus Ray Liotta's character, uh, Maka, not being able to do that and being consumed by it. So I I kind of has always seen this movie as a very, you know, Buddhist and materialistic thing or maybe not just materialism, but your ego being the thing in your brain that it's like, this is how society has taught me to live. And I need to break free from that to reach nirvana, to reach enlightenment. Does that make some Mm -hmm. sense?
0: Yeah, it does. I, uh, I can't, I don't actually see any problem with that analysis of the movie, honestly. The main issues that I, that I take with, and it's not even just that idea, like, I don't think it's that idea that I have, that I have issues mm-hmm. with. The two characters, uh, Andre 3000 and, uh, the other guy, uh, Zach, or whatever.
1: Yep. Vin- Vincent Pastore, who plays, who plays, I'm not kidding you, his name is Big Pussy in The Sopranos.
0: <laughs> okay. It's like the, these two people are, are these people who are like, they you know, they come at, at Statham and they're like, your ego is too big. Mm-hmm. This is pot calling the kettle black all over the place. These guys have the biggest ego of the whole movie. OK, sure, sure. You would need a gigantic waffle maker like you can't not a regular sized waffle maker will handle this.
1: It's like you open your oven door and just a bunch of frozen waffles fall out. You know, (laughs) no, I I know what you're saying. And I've kind of come to and this when I talk about my thoughts on this being like this Buddhist take type of thing. I am fully aware of, you know, like what you talked about with the ego and the psychiatrist thing. I have I have seen the psychiatrist, thing, even though that's not the version of the movie that I have on my hard drive. I have seen that, you know, on YouTube and stuff. I definitely agree with you that it's like, you know, that could be a take on this movie that people latch on to. I know there's some stuff from Guy Ritchie who talks about this, you know, being very like Kabbalistic, like re- like referencing the Kabbalah of Jewish mysticism thing. He also mm-hmm. has a lot of ideas going on. I am very much coming at this Buddhism angle with the thing I usually say where I'm like, if this is what I take from a movie and this is what clicks with me, that's what I'm going to stick with type of thing. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. definitely, you know, no I'm acknowledging that there's other ideas is about this movie probably more accurate to what guy Ritchie was going for but i'm very adamant in my own beliefs of it <laughs> okay cop uh, um. yeah yeah there we go but in in the in that form of rationalization that i use for movies i definitely kind of see you know andre 3000 and vincent pastori as these kind of you know Yes, on the surface it seems like they're calling the kettle black, but it seems like they're using their formula and this long con of their Buddhist teach- teachings to get statham to think like they do in a very strange roundabout Guy Ritchie storytelling way.
0: <laughs> I okay, so I agree, but I think that anybody who who can can say who can look at you and be like, "You need to think the way I think," has an ego problem. Sure, sure. Um and and these people they are nothing but manipulative about it. They they don't they don't go to Guy Ritchie and say like, "Here's the thing that I learned. It did good for me. Maybe it'll do good for you. You can try it if you want." Which yeah. is what I would expect from somebody who is you know sharing a Buddhist teaching or something of the like. They they go they go up to Jason Statham and they set up like a weird ruse where he thinks he's gonna die in three days. Yes. Which I can only imagine they achieved by poisoning him when he touched the card, but I don't know for certain. Yeah,
1: that's not fully explained,
0: <laughs> um, as,
1: as are many things in this movie.
0: And, like, they say that is that after him, so they'll protect him from Maka. But as far as I can tell, they don't ever actually say that they're going to stop the il- illness from killing him. No. And so, at that point, I'm like, why is he going along with this anyway? I guess I, guess I had a, some trouble with that as well. Like just the practicality of the story, being like, sure. why is why would Statham go along with this? Like, he's gonna die in three days, and they're promising to to keep him alive for that whole three days. And and to do so, they're they're having him give away all his money. Mm-hmm. Why not just give all his money to his brother and just die? Like, sure, I don't, yeah. And 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 beyond that, like Maka doesn't even try to kill him again for like most of the movie
1: <laughs> yes yeah
0: <laughs> and so, so i'm just like i don't i don't think that that's right and like the only reason maka does try to come back and kill him again is because somebody tells him that he was involved in stealing the the powder yes the coke. Yes, it's exactly. like it had that not happened had he not been involved with these guys to begin with maka wouldn't have come back to try to kill him again
1: Yes. Uh, no. You are hundred percent right, and and I am uh, wholly with you in the absurdity, not the, the absurdity, the nonsensicality, and the uh, just just pure, like you know, I don't know, muddledness of of the, this story for sure of this plot. Mm. But I, I do want to mention on the on the notion of um you know I think you just said it best where if, if it was very like through and through like a a Buddhist teachings movie. Because I think there's a lot of other stuff that Guy Ritchie injects in there that makes it not fully that. But you're right. I think you said it best in saying that, you know, it's not like Andre 3000 and Vincent Pastore are going to Statham and saying, you know, here, this is something that's worked. You should try it out, that type of thing. Which, uh, I don't know any real, like, Buddhists in my real life, but from what I've heard of Buddhist teachings, it's very much like, you know here's an avenue that you might want to try, you know? Like, here's meditation. Like, give that a shot. I think this is them coming at, at Statham and just, like, forcing him with this really crazy, like you said, ruse to have all this happen to him, especially with, like, the big reveal at the end that they were the prisoners that he was in solitary between. I think that's Stath- uh, uh, Guy Ritchie injecting maybe more of the, the other religions. Because I, when I think of, like, other religions, like, you know... The ones I've had more experience with growing up, like the, the Catholicism or something, they're the ones who are more like, you know, do this and your life will be better, you know? Like, get into this way of thinking. Get into this, like, for, where they force you into it. And, and that's where I think that it all kind of gets, like, all jumbled together type of thing.
0: I could see some of that. I mean, there's definitely a large sect of the Christian population that has, like, that turn or burn mentality. Yeah. Uh, which... I think it's a fantastic saying. I think Turner burn is just phenomenal because sure. it rhymes. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, and it gets the message across, but I, um, I could definitely see like why you would think that that's what's happening. So it's like, you know, them coming at it as, as like religious teachers. And it's not necessarily, I, I wouldn't say that the Buddhist tradition is the only one that has these messages. Like the Christian tradition, you know, I mentioned already, um, if your eye you tear it out or pluck yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, which is which is that same kind of message, but but the the manipulative part of this is where it breaks down. Like I I, I don't know that I've ever encountered a religion that's manipulative about trying to get people to to practice it. Sure. Like I've I've run into religions that are forceful, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're not manipulative. Yeah, they're, the mani- they're not subtle at all.
1: Yeah, you're right. The manipulative stuff probably is what would lend itself that description would lend itself more to what the like mainstream or modern day internet and media talk is like cults and stuff like that.
0: I, I, I could see that in, in the sense that maybe your peers are kind of like putting that kind of pressure on you and, and you feel like you don't really have options, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just, their characters, I guess I, I didn't think that they were the masterminds they thought they were. I guess.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. No, um, uh, that, that's that's an interesting point. And I I think that goes along with the um what you were saying about the story and the weird and this very strange way it's told, which we'll have to get into. The, like I said, the guy Ritchie of it. Um, but also the um how it's basically like dominoes falling over just by you know pure machination of the script type of thing. Like like w- things are happening because. There is Guy Ritchie, of course, you know, writing. There's this divine creator writing the script and all these things are happening because of something that happened earlier that didn't even need to happen. And it, it is very convoluted for sure. Right. Comes with a big reveal at the end. Uh, I think the big reveal being, you know, it's like, well, one, the reveal of like this voice in your head is not you. And two, the reveal of like, oh, we were the um, the con man and the chess player who've been pulling these strings I find this similarity, and I think I, I'm glad you've seen this other movie that I really compare this to. Uh, I'm glad you've seen it. It's been a while, Ben. But I find, especially, I found on this viewing or watching Revolver for the first time in a few years um, for this recording, I, there is a lot of similarities in the nonsensicality and just pure convol- convoluted nature of this story uh, with Southland Tales. I find these two stories, very, the structure of them, very similar. Because remember at the end of Southland Tales where it's like, okay, there's 20 minutes left, and The Rock, guess what? You went back in time and you cloned yourself, but then you killed yourself and pimps don't commit suicide. And you're just like, I was confused by the first two hours of this movie. Why am I confused in a different way for the last 30 minutes? And I think this movie kind of pulls off that same trick.
0: (laughs) Yeah, to some degree. I mean, I... So I definitely called like there are a few things I called like for one, uh, Sam Gold doesn't exist. Sure, sure. The the two, Andre and and the the dude are the prisoners. Like I, I called that pretty gotcha. early on. Yeah. Um, mainly because of their conversations about chess. Um, yeah, yeah. Like so I, I don't I didn't feel like that was like the most obscure thing. I actually I'm kind of curious what you think about the Sam Sam Gold not existing. Is there there's a lot of people uh, on the internet that are like Sam Gold is Satan. And I I'm have
1: like, read that before, and I definitely don't buy into that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's a great example of what you said. Grasping.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, they they, they say things like, well, he, he's in everybody's head. It's like, they made that up. Like, they, they are saying that when the when the ego is talking inside of Jason Statham, that that's actually Sam Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing in the movie that supports that. My impression is that Sam Gold is actually a creation of Andre 3000 and the other guy.
1: Yeah, I've I've kind of always thought about it, kind of waffled, ego, of course, sticking with that theme, uh, waffled back and forth between this notion of it's some figurehead that they created and are, you know, using it to whatever ends they are using. Because we don't really know what their goal is in the movie other than, you know, them getting Jason Statham to, you know, figure things out or whatever you want to call it. So kind of, you know, them creating it, with this, you know, and the notion of what someone, I think his brother, the character in the in the movie, just, uh, Jake Green's brother is saying, it's like, you know, nobody crosses gold and gets away with it except these two guys. Yeah. And so that lends itself to like, oh, they have created this like figurehead enterprise lord or whatever you want to call it for whatever reason they did. Or, and I've waffled between that and the idea that Sam Gold is in this very like, once again, you know, parable or like allegorical way, this just like looming threat like this looming idea like a Satan not the actual like religious figurehead of Satan but this notion that you know this societal pressure of wanting to succeed of like you know materialistic possessions of all the negative things that the ego you know comes with just as this this entity in the movie you know I and that that's where I, I draw more comparisons to Southland tales because I think a lot of Southland tales and this movie while the story is told like very literally I think there is a lot from the creators, you know, Guy Ritchie here and Richard Kelly in in Southland Tales, that they are like, this is played very literally, but it should be taken as, you know, very metaphorical. Which is a reason I think I love both of these movies, because they are both like absolutely flawed, crazy pieces of nonsense, and there's just something I love about that in movies.
0: (laughs) You probably like the Bible then.
1: You know, the Bible is my go-to bedtime
0: book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, uh, I jest, but that's that's interesting. I mean, I, I definitely agree that there's that these should be looked at metaphorically, mm-hmm. uh, or that they can be looked at metaphorically. And like, but one other thing before we move on, I actually for a while my impression was that Sam Gold was actually just the woman that he. That,
1: oh, sure, yeah, yeah.
0: Like that, she just created Sam Gold. Uh, so that people would respect her more. And then she's just his like mess.
1: Yeah, member. yeah, gotcha. Yeah.
0: So so I definitely um initially thought that and I still kind of do. I think that that might actually make the most sense with the second most sense being that it's um that she works with uh, Andre Two Thousand and the other dude. Mm, mm-hmm. The big waffle, not slim biggins, big slim. <laughs> so what's
1: that line from Ray Liotta? He's like, he's like, we sent five men. And Slim Biggins, who no, counts we, as we, another five men or something. No, it's
0: it's six. And okay. Slim Biggins who counts as another six.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, and that is why I saw That's a fascinating story. I have one question for you. How? How what? How what? There were six of us plus Slim Biggins, who counts as another six. How many were there of him? One. One. So how
1: exactly did this one manage to disarm and overpower a four-time national bodybuilding champion? Drag him half a block, throw him over a six foot wall and then get him to his own gun and slim biggins yeah um no i i definitely i i want to pick apart some scenes as we go into like the 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 themes of this movie because like i said it's very much something i find the similarities with southland tales structurally and, them, and not thematically but like metaphorically um and i think that's going to get us into like the performances and stuff and the way the story's told so uh, on on the topic of the um, the themes and the and the ideas in this movie, um, I don't know if you, if you saw it, Ben, but you can anybody can go to the uh, Wikipedia page for this movie, and there's a little section on like the themes and stuff, or you know, uh, interpretations or whatever you want to call it. It it, it references some things, it it, it grasps at some things, I believe. You know, there's a few citations needed in there, um, of course. Um, but the the one line I want to highlight, which is great on the Wikipedia page, is um, it's referencing the scene where Statham first brings uh, a bag, a duffel bag full of money to um, Avi and Zach, and very strangely, a touch that I think it's very noticeable is that you know uh, uh, Andre three thousand is talking about like he loves cash and stuff like that, and he takes out like a bill from the duffel bag, and it's a twelve dollar bill. Yeah the wikipedia page says very 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 funnily i think the dollar bills shown in jack's money bags well first of all his name is jake green i don't know where they get jack from but the dollar bills shown in jack's money bags have a denomination of 12 and then in parentheses the word 12 written out no explanation for this has yet been discovered
0: (laughs) Uh, it's clearly the Twelve Disciples.
1: Um, I, I love that line because that's clearly like someone is is writing – like that comes across to me, Ben, as something we, we sometimes find on the Adventure Time wiki. Like someone who has a weird affinity for, you know, either Adventure Time or this movie, uh, they're just like, yeah, I can go edit the wiki page. And they're like, this sounds good to me. You know, it's, let's keep it mysterious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I – I don't know. I mean, I definitely noticed, like, the, the $12 bill thing. Yeah. Uh, but I probably would have forgotten to bring it up. Oh, okay,
1: okay. I mean, it's just
0: like a, a movie prop. Oh, yeah, ab-
1: absolutely. Um, I, mean, I mean, I
0: don't know. know. Maybe, it's, maybe the joke I made about the Twelve Disciples is, is more apt than— it,
1: Yeah, it could be. Um, if I, if I that's like really to... supposed
0: to be Satan as Sam Gold, then, <laughs> right. then money is the Twelve Disciples, and Satan wants all the money. <laughs> <something>. I
1: don't... <laughs> yeah, um, I like to think it is a reference to uh, there is a bit from an episode of the Animaniacs uh, where uh, it's I if I have not seen this in so long, I have to see if I can even dig it up. But it's like. I remember it being like a commercial, like it was like a little sketch in the Animaniacs, which is an animated show. And it's like a commercial of a woman, like a commercial like you see on TV, like advertising something. And for some reason the woman was advertising a $12 bill. And the mm-hmm. and the joke is like, "Oh, things have gotten so expensive like you can't pay with anything with a you can't pay for anything with a $10 bill anymore because it's always like, you know, 9.99 plus tax so we should introduce the 12 dollar bill so you can carry around less money overall and I, I, for some reason i that stuck with me i haven't seen that since i was like a kid you know and i've always remembered that and when i see it in this movie i'm like maybe he was an animaniac fan. <laughs> hey kids i cannot find the exact clip I'm remembering nor can I find anything remotely similar to what I think I'm remembering this would have been well over 20 years ago now that I saw this sometime in the late 90s I remember very specifically this notion of maybe not a twelve dollar bill but a value of a bill that was Not a denomination we currently use in the United States, and I thought it was 12, and that was very funny to me, and I just can't find it. There was some research that I found that thought it might have been a $15 bill, it might have been a $40 bill? Uh, but I reached my my limit of, of research for this. But please, if anybody remembers what I'm talking about or has some memory of it or can uh, be a better researcher than I, uh, I would love to get some information. Um, you know, just email us, cinemodities at gmail.com, about this, what I still do think was an Animaniacs clip, but that I'm probably wrong about as well, uh, as I've been many other things throughout the years. Thanks, kids.
0: I don't have to talk about the mathematics with you. You know 12 is an inefficient <laughs> denomination.
1: 12 is the best number. <laughs> I think we should only have $12 bills. Get rid of ones, fives, twos, tens, twenties, hundreds, just 12s. <laughs> all
0: right. I'm glad I know where you stand.
1: So, so I, I think for a lot of the reasons that we've been talking about, how this, this movie is so kind of all over the place – with not only its its meanings, its messages, its, its the story and all that stuff, this movie, of course, gets just just wrecked. Not only critically, but you know, commercially, um, comes out in September two thousand five. Costs twenty seven million dollars. Makes less than seven. Cr- critics basically come across uh, across the board. Critics are like, this is pretentious and overcomplicated. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is, I think, overcomplicated is a good way to put it. And I, I think there's also, you know, some combination of Guy Ritchie's style in directing that we've talked about now in Snatch, in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, even Wrath of Man way back when. I think his directing style, pairing it with this really something that's trying to be very heady and, and metaphorical and thematic. It it just comes across as as it's not a, a terrible way to put it, pretentious, you know that type of thing. It yeah, definitely... pretentious
0: actually f- f- sits pretty well with me uh, okay. for this movie, uh, and mainly that comes from like Avi and Zach's characters. Like they are pretentious; they're sure. like the definition of pretentious. They like think they know what's better for you, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and think you're you're doing it wrong, and that you have to do this or that and for whatever reason. They are focused on Jake Green and. They, they want to force him to, like, go up against Dorothy Macca for some reason that doesn't make a lot of sense. Sure. And and for some reason, they also know it's going to take him two years, like, to the day to go to Dorothy Macca's casino and try to get some money because Zach's there. Like, why the fuck is Zach at the casino when Jake is? Yep.
1: No, I'm, to- I'm totally with you.
0: <laughs> like, does he – I mean, I don't know. Maybe he gets – maybe he has a spy in the casino or something, but – whatever I don't know it's just
1: no you're not wrong it's like I said it's the, there's a divine creator of this story for sure you know well, there, there is a script writer and it's it's a noticeable script writer
0: the the people who claim that sam gold is the devil I think also claim that avi and Zach are guardian angels which is horseshit. <laughs> they they are far from guardian angels I mean I don't know there, I I suppose there's a way that you could rationalize it where you're just like, okay, guardian angels might put you through a hard thing to, um, to get to a better place or something like that. Yeah. But I don't think they manufacture this much bullshit and almost kill you this many times.
1: Sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you.
0: (laughs) I think guardian angels like stop the bullets. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, it's like, like I said, a noticeable writer. Like, this movie is, like, we've talked about, like, noticeable edits. This is a noticeably written script, you know? It, it definitely does not flow naturally. You know... No, it's, it's not character-driven in the slightest. Exactly. And, and you know it's very much like, oh, this is just being being uh, told to us. I, I think that, on, on that idea, I think that Guy Ritchie is in his own mind, when he was writing this, and, you know, and then, of course, making the movie, he, he's seeing it Probably very pretentiously, and I think that, like you said, it, it is sitting better with me. He probably saw it very pretentiously as he's like, I am writing a, a chess match where, you know, I am seeing four moves ahead of the audience and, and all these pieces I'm putting in place. But then, you know, uh, it's really like, oh, you didn't have the foresight to see it. He he probably views his, this story as, you know, a, a construction of a grandmaster in, to some extent.
0: Well, and if that's the case... I might lose a little respect for him. This this is very clearly it it has uh, what would you say like flaws in yes, this story? Yes, yes, definitely plot holes. But I I definitely am picking up what you're putting down where he's like he's like oh I'm you know I'm looking at it from like a thousand feet in the air and and I yeah. can just make up a reason that this makes sense and then it'll it'll you know people will just assume that I'm smarter and they're dumber, which is a line in the movie. Um, yes, yes. And it's like well I and you know what I didn't I didn't assume that.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I don't assume it either, but uh, there's something about it that I just find so fascinating. Um, But I think that that, that's a good thing to talk about is, you know, because we've talked Lock, Stock, etc., and um, Snatch, his first two movies. And those get, you Both know... fantastic movies. Exactly. And th- and those get, you know, a- a- acclaim from audiences, from critics, and, you know, other than the critics saying, like, he made the same movie twice, and then as soon as he makes something different, everybody's like, why well, can't he just make the same movie a third time? I don't think anybody said that, but I, <laughs> I think that, you know, it's something that happens with directors, with creative forces, in that, you know, they, they might start out, they might see, get these, like, you know, huge successes, and when they have successes in these kind of, you know, unique ways, like like Guy Ritchie, because he's, he's the guy we're talking about, um, you know, Lockstock, et cetera, and Snatch, they're very unique movies. They're not wholly unique, of course. They're playing on the Tarantino thing. They're playing on some other um, creators that we've talked about in those episodes, his inspirations. But they are done in this unique way, and he, like his take on them. And people see that and they go, oh, man, this is so great, you know. there There then comes a point where, you know, these directors can pitch kind of anything like they can have like, Oh, I wrote this script and you know, it, it's all these crazy ideas. And, you know, maybe uh, guy, Ritchie's sh- trying to, you know, he writes revolver, he's shopping it around to people, you know, studios, whoever, and actors, it, and maybe not so much Statham, but like say, Leota, Ray Leota is Maka, you know, maybe Mark Strong is sorter. And, and you know, even uh, Zach and Avi, they read this script, maybe even studio executives read this script and they look at it and they go, I don't understand what the hell this is, but this guy has had success before with his unique ideas, so maybe I'm just missing something. And they kind of go along with them, and that's where that right. the pretentiousness comes into play. And I think that very, you know... Nicely, I think for Guy Ritchie, he didn't just fall into obscurity. He's made many movies since then. I think that this, combined with his previous movie, um, Swept Away, which is a total vanity project, which is the the movie he made while he was married to Madonna, and it's Madonna, him remaking an Italian film that completely misses the point of the Italian film, and I, I would say the theme of Guy Ritchie's Swept Away is look, I'm married to Madonna. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Um, And so I think the combination of swept away and this, both being like critics going, this does not work. This makes no sense. I think it does somewhat humble Guy Ritchie because then the next movie he makes after this is Rock and Rolla, which is very much toned down and more like a snatch and something like that. Getting back to the... I would I would say rock and roll is not pretentious in the slightest, and then the Sherlock Holmes movies, and then it's like okay, I had to pull back from this really heady stuff and get back to like the grounded stories that made Lockstock, et cetera, and Snatch such a success. Get away from vanity, get away from pretentiousness, and then maybe he goes a little too far away from it because then he starts making just remaker or, or adaptations of like like King Arthur's a boxer, the man from Uncle's a boxer. Aladdin's a boxer, you know, that type of stuff. Um, so I, I think it was a good period for Guy Ritchie to go through to to have this, you know, critical failure. Um, and I hope he learned something from it. But that, that's just my thought, that he falls into a lot of other directors who make these big movies, and people just kind of go, well, I don't really know what you're doing here, but I'll just stick with it. And it turns around and bites him on the ass. Like, I think, like, I'm thinking of, um, you know, uh, the That happened to the Wachowskis, even though Speed Racer is a phenomenal movie. I think a lot of people were like, what the fuck is this? Like, you made The Matrix. What is this now, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And there's probably other examples that are not coming to my mind. But I think that's just where this lays with Guy Ritchie in that nobody said no to him for this movie, and it shows. And it comes as as bloated and crazy and nonsense and and just his vision where he was probably like, Maybe I should come back from this or pull back from this, a lot like a Southland Tales. I think no. After Donnie Darko, no, everybody like Richard. We I don't know if we watched it or you watched it, but on the bonus features on the Southland Tales Blu-ray, there's scenes where like the actors are like, you know, I don't know what this movie is about, but yeah, this guy yeah. clearly has a vision, and so I'm just going along with it. And sometimes that works out great. Sometimes that doesn't work out great. <laughs> it's
0: like the guy from Missing. He yeah,
1: <laughs> he had a vision. Exactly. That's a great, a great recent example in a movie. But I think that's what I find fascinating about these movies, that these are like, like Southland Tales for Richard Kelly, this for Guy Ritchie. This is just like their unfettered, created force. And that is, that is fascinating to me.
0: fascinating that, that nobody said no to them?
1: Fat, well, fascinating that this is what you get when nobody says no to them. You know, okay. I I I find both of this and Southland Tales just so absolutely bizarre in their existence that I don't know. It, it's kind of like the um, it's an, one of the reasons that I find like you know something like Finnegans Wake so mesmerizing is where it's like you know nobody was going to say no to James Joyce, well because it was also Irish literature, state of Irish literature, um, you know, at the beginning of the um twentieth century, but like after you know Ulysses which is regularly considered by the people who think they can rank these things, regularly considered like the greatest novel of all time. And then he's like, well, you know, I'm now going blind in my eyes, and I'm going to write this book that's just a total thing you don't even have to read. You have to like glaze over, and it just creates different images in your head. And it's just like that is fascinating that people can think of this. And I like that, you know, unabated just creative force. We get the weirdest things from it.
0: I can appreciate the unabated creative force, uh, but I think that something that needs to be said uh, is that's not how you get good products.
1: Definitely not. <laughs> um,
0: so, so you need creative force, one hundred percent. You know, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is kind of like the the duality of of the two mindsets, like there's openness and. Um, the opposite of openness which i don't think is called closedness but maybe should be <laughs> sure. uh, i think it's maybe referred to as conservativeness or or something else yeah. but it's not yeah. the political conservative ideology just anyway so open people are are very creative and they have a lot of ideas uh but by the sheer fact that they have a lot of ideas a lot of their ideas are bad
1: oh yeah absolutely it's it's uh they they're unable to i think this goes hand in hand with the um you know unabated or you know unfettered creative force um these people when they're not told no or they don't have pushback from producers or anybody they don't know how to self-edit
0: i for whatever reason i just got the strangest image in my mind of someone getting high on their own farts um (laughs) which i don't i you know i'm not one for potty humor so that that's like a little weird for me but no, that, that's totally the the idea is that they don't know how to self-edit. They don't know how to tell when an idea is a bad idea or something that won't be well received. They they just know how to generate ideas, and and every one idea they have attaches itself to a bunch of other things and becomes you know multiple ideas. Yeah, and that's why they generate so much content. Uh, but then you need somebody who's like, okay, well, well, the market will actually buy this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, exactly. To, or or you know the market won't fucking touch that. To tell them, like, hey, get the fuck out of here. And then every once in a while, those people are wrong. Like, how many people turned down the Harry Potter series before it got accepted? Sure, you know, it's, exactly,
1: yeah. But. Um, like you said, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Absolutely. And um, I, I think that these types of movies, the, the ones that are bad, like Southland Tales, or come across as universally, you know, panned type of thing, the ones that I have a, this really big affinity for, one of the most positive things I could find in reviews of the time from this uh, th- about this movie was from a guy named Mark Leeper, and I think he summed it up perfectly. He was being very nice about this movie, not saying it was good or that he enjoyed it or anything, but wrote, <laughs> quote, a film for a narrow audience. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that, and I was like, yeah, that that is legitimately how I would sum this up, and Southland Tales up, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, so... We're getting a little preview of what what Rob's answers are going to be. Oh, of
1: of course, yeah. Um, (laughs) But I also, another another critic I found from this time, uh, Brian Orndorff uh, wrote uh, that this is, quote, the perfect movie for those who like to crack things open and dig around the innards. And I think that's a very, you know, kind of neutral take. It's not saying that it's like, oh, it's you're gonna you're gonna dig into this and find something really good, or dig into this and find that you hate it, that type of thing. I just right. like that it's saying yes, this is a movie that you need to perform some type of autopsy on. Compared True. to like a you know like a snatch or like I remember what I said in our snatch discussion, I was like I have no take on this movie. Like I don't think this is getting at anything really grand thematically.
0: No, this it's is a story. just a
1: good movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: it's just a good, yeah, it's just a good story about people. You know, about character collisions, whereas this this movie is is definitely trying to say a, something. Yes. Uh, Maybe too and, many and things. Is, yeah. Right. And the things that is trying to say uh, also, I guess, put me in the mindset of Space Jam, A uh, New Legacy. There was some sucking of one's own dick involved. And, and I guess I, I want to clarify, I don't think that this movie is necessarily like it's I wouldn't say that it's bad. But I would say that some of the things that they are talking about with regards to the ego, I, I think it's pretentious. Is probably the best. It's pretentious and wrong, which I, which is maybe the worst combination of things.
1: No, I, I I totally get what you're saying, and actually now when you put it that way, it um it m- makes me think of that. I think you and I are in nearly flipped positions from how we talked about mother. You know where yeah. I was like I love this film but I hate this movie type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And you had, and I was like I that's I remember being like Aronofsky and I still think Aronofsky is very pretentious um, and hasn't really been checked. I guess with maybe The Fountain, but that was so long ago. Where you know it, it kind of yeah almost, like I said nearly flipped where you had uh, you took a lot more, you know, I think useful meaning from mother than I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking a lot more, maybe not useful meaning is the right phrase for this movie um, than you did type of thing.
0: Well, so that's the thing is like I take meaning from it, but I would not call it useful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, if, if you if you think it's useful meaning, I mean, I don't know, maybe your ego's goes out of control. And you gotta let go your ego. My ego but...
2: is out of control, let me tell you
0: that. <laughs> which which I think Lego your ego is maybe the best thing to have come out of a uh conversation in a long time.
1: We should one hundred percent try and get that as like the pull quote for the Blu-ray of Revolver. Like Lego your ego. <laughs> and everybody would read that and go, I don't understand what that has to do with this movie. This guy Richie Jason Statham film.
0: <laughs> I mean sometimes you just gotta let go your ego, you know? Like it's not <laughs> it's not that complicated it's not that heady
1: there would be a uh, on the on the box there would be a um a little qr code next to that quote and when you scan it it just brings like you to the spotify ep- ep- episode this episode so you can listen to it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: so i'm I'm glad you bring up that you know you didn't think this movie was bad and, and um you know i i think once again just to make that comparison because I, I it was so at the front of my mind for some reason on this viewing but if i remember correctly you were very much bored by Southland Tales, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah quite a bit.
1: So um, do you think, and, and it sounds like you were not bored for this movie.
0: No, I mean, there's there's plenty of stuff going on, although at times I'm just like, I don't get why this is going on. Like, sure. how the fuck do uh, Avi and Zach know that the powder's in the old fucking um, safe that no one ever uses? Yeah, yeah. Except they used it this one time. Like, how the fuck do they know that? So then they're, you know, they're stealing it. it's like, okay, I mean, they're stealing it because they have to for the movie to progress Mm -hmm. and they're stealing it and they know where it is because they have to for the movie to progress. It's like I don't, uh, you know, aside from those things, it's like, no, it's actually like pretty enjoyable. And there's there's definitely stuff happening and and there's shiny lights on the screen. And, you know, there's like (laughs) there's the guy with guns for hands at one point. Yeah, the,
1: uh, the yeah the little animated segment, which is what I would compare to uh, Justin Timberlake's musical number in Southland Tales.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the Jeep sex scene, but all right,
1: that uh, could could be, I mean, yeah, maybe a combination of those two things. They're both in there, and I'm like, I don't really know why this is in here, but it's fucking awesome. You know, I love the musical number in Southland Tales. I really like the little animated segment in. In this movie, I, I mean, I have no take on why it's there, if it's adding anything, you know, thematically, if it's purely stylistic, I, which I, I think it is. But it's fun, you know? <laughs>
0: uh, I I found it weird how, like, over-exaggeratedly fat the Asian dude was in the... Oh, yeah, like, that's right. Like, he, like, shakes his head and, like, his, his jaw's, like, half a second behind him, you know? It's like... <laughs> yep, that's, yep. But so uh,
1: I so I, I think the the thing I want to get at is you know it's we've talked about it now with I think more so in Wrath of Man um than we did in, in like Snatch but uh, Guy Ritchie has a very I I think not for everybody of course because some people I think you know dislike Guy Ritchie um for for the reason that I think we enjoy him he has a clear directing style that he uses and it is it takes a story and makes it rather engaging i think that's how we talked about snatch you know with um uh with uh, and wrath of man as well it's the idea that you know something's about to happen like tension is building like characters are coming together something is about to occur and then right before it occurs it will cut off and then it'll take like this maybe you know small relatively small time jump to people describing what happened but then we're getting to see bits and pieces of it. Like it is a very, it's an interesting uh, way to tell a story. I think Mm -hmm. that happens in Wrath of Man with one of the, like there's chapters in Wrath, oh yeah, the chapters in Wrath of Man are the body parts or whatever, the organs or something like that. The scene where
0: they're describing the heist and they're using like the little models on the the map or whatever, but then like that's intercut with actual scenes from the heist. Yes, Um, yes. Yeah
1: uh in revolver, you know you mentioned the scene where they they steal the safe type of thing. We do get that intercut of the of them stealing the safe and cracking it open, but it, like I said intercut with um Ray liotta finding out that it was sto- like stolen we see like the yep. hole in the wall and stuff like that yep. um also I have to say very very similar in this movie they um they they pull a safe out of a wall with a truck. If you remember, Ben, in Southland Tales, they pull an ATM out of the wall with an ice cream truck at the end. Um, <laughs> so so there's, there's, a, there's a lot between these movies. Uh, this, this may be a great double feature of just, you know, you, you sit down for four and a half hours with people, and then at the end they go, why the fuck did you make me watch those two movies, you know? Um, <laughs> but but this movie, I, I am very much compelled by the story stylistic storytelling of this movie, I am very much compelled by the directing. I'm very much compelled by a lot of the 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 maybe not overzealous, but over embellished, you know, um uh scenery and set design. Like one of the things I think stands out so grandly is Ray Liotta, for a few scenes in this movie, he's in Roo, Maka is in these rooms that are just entirely blue. Like yeah. he's in like a he has like a tanning a room. UV room, yeah, yeah. A UV room. There's like the pool, r- the room with the pool where the where the the brother's daughter is near the end, and it's like that's all blue, and then just immediately like you know we'll cut to oh now we're introducing this other like crime lord Lord John and what room is he in? It's entirely red, you know, yeah. and that's like very very stylistic choices and that that's been around. Guy Ritchie didn't invent that or anything, you know. It's like Michael Mann and in, in uh, like, um. Uh, what is it? I think it's called Manhunter or something like the, the first um, uh, Hannibal Lecter movie that he did. There's just scenes where it'll be like, you know, he's just I want this all to be blue or I want this all to be purple, you know, and it's it's very, very stylistic. And this whole movie, I am just so into these choices. I mean, I'm I remember the first time I saw it and it still gets me every time I see it. The, um, when Vincent Pastore uh, stops Jason Statham before he goes down the stairs, and then we get that, like, slow-mo shot of Jason Statham falling down the stairs while, like, orchestral choir music plays. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that. I'm just, like, I'm into it, you know? It just clicks with me. I mean, even before that, the series of phone calls, like, Statham and his brother pull up to Maka's Casino, and you just are following, like, people in the casino calling other people in the casino to eventually have it get to like someone telling Maka that Jake green is in the building, you know, and right. there's just a way like just showing all those pieces. And maybe that's the chess thing guy. Ritchie has in the back of his head. I am just like a hundred percent into the way that's that, you know, the way this story is displayed. And I think that I find it so endearing that I can look past the nonsensicality and all these, like all the moments you've brought up, where I'm just like, yeah, it does not make sense, but it is being told in such a gripping and enthralling way for me that I'm just like, okay, just give me more type of thing.
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely something that you're capable of that I'm not. Um, the you know being story oriented as I am, the the derailing of the story or the the plot holes showing up, sure, they, sure. they definitely always distract me. So there's definitely, you know, we're, we're watching that and it, it is like the, the sequence of scenes regarding the safe coming out of the wall. And I'm just like, why the fuck do they know where this is? <laughs> sure.
2: Like, <yeah. laughs> you know, like,
0: you know, and like, you know, and so that, that does kind of remove me from, from the delivery of, of it. And, and maybe if I wasn't removed from the delivery, I could appreciate the delivery a little more. But I, at, at the end of the day, what I'm interested in is a story. So I. Whether the delivery is good or not, I want the story to be good. Yeah, yeah. And then the delivery being good, like that's what Snatch does. Like the story's good exactly. and the delivery's good. Yep. Um, whereas here, it's like the delivery's good, sure, but the story is needs work.
1: No, I'm, I I totally get where you're coming from. Absolutely. And um, it it's and you're right, and you know, that's that's a big difference between us, which we've talked about plenty. You know, um, yeah. but it it's it's just like so. And I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like all the directing stuff, all those choices and the delivery of it is so Guy Ritchie. It's Guy Ritchie turned up to the maximum. You know, like we we talked about in Lockstock, etc., where it's like you can see his tricks starting to form, you know, that he's going to use a lot later on. And they get just amped up to 11 in this one and then he's also trying to do seemingly like I, I think i hinted at before he's trying to use all these same tricks and the tricks that he's used in like storytelling wise in snatch and Lockstock, stock etc of these character collision ideas and also amping that up to 11 unnecessarily so because when you amp all that stuff up to 11 you get this big old mess of a story that's like we like i said you know just happening well, this has to happen because the script needs to continue and the movie needs to continue. But why does the movie need to continue? Oh, because this is happening. It's this big feedback loop,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. It's uh, you, Circular is, is yeah. uh, mm-hmm. definitely a word you could use to describe it. And, I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said, it's not bad, but it's not the best.
1: Sure, sure. And I think that also with the directing, you know, of course, we're seeing all these stylistic things. Um, visually, I think that, of course, then – Another big thing that Guy Ritchie does, and, and we we have definitely seen to great effect in in his previous two movies, you know, not swept away because we haven't talked about that one. Hopefully, we can do that as a double feature with the original Italian one, just to complain about how badly it misses the point of the original one, uh, which is a good movie about like party politics and stuff in Italy uh, in the seventies or eighties. But Guy Ritchie is a good director of actors, like even when his performance, the performances in like you know lock etc do come across as stale to me because they're just like it turns out they're a bunch of like ex-cons that he knows and they've never acted before he still is getting good performances out of people like the actors are doing what the movie needs them to do and mm-hmm. i love the performances in this movie i i think like this is some of statham's best stuff it's also compared to the other things we've talked about him in like you know The mechanic and crank. He's not given as much to do, you know, emotionally. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Statham's great. I love Ray Liotta in this movie. I mean, I I think I love every performance that all these Ray Liotta's
0: performance is fantastic. I mean, Andre 3000 even does a good job. Yeah, you don't expect that he's necessarily the best actor. Um, No, I, I I totally totally agree with that. The, the performances are fantastic.
1: There's, there's just... The, Ray Liotta is probably my stand... I've, I always love Ray, Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta is really good. Um, but, this. I mean, oh, there's so many lines of his I had written down, you know, where, um like, the quote at the beginning was a Ray Liotta line.
0: What is it that he says to Paul whenever he's trying to get the powder? It's like, am I having deja vu? Yes. Didn't <laughs> I say buy it or get the powder or whatever the fuck he exactly, says? Exactly, yeah. Didn't I just say that? Didn't
1: I just say it, Paul? You know, yeah, that type yeah. of thing. It, I love like, his His line. mouth
0: is, like... It was almost like like the wise kid you know directed it because it was like <laughs> yes. with your mouth more open. Yes, and, yes, and exactly. He
2: fucking...
0: Okay, get it. What? Am I
1: having deja vu, Paul? Didn't I just say get it?
0: It's a Sam Gold. I found myself chained to, Mister Black Magic, Mister I run this game, Gold. That's some plastic gangster with a pocket knife for backup. Gold doesn't give second chances, Paul. I want in, and I want rewards. Got it? Paul? When you make the deal, keep both eyes on that untrustworthy, greedy motherfucker. You know, he, he went there and he uh, and he so. nails
1: it. And I think there's a lot of him nailing that performance. Like I, I it's I didn't even have to really write it down. I, I, I like wait for it every time I see this movie where I love when he's saying I think it's in that very same in that same scene or very close to it. Where he's like, this is Sam Gold. I found myself chained to Mr. Black Magic, Mr. I run this game gold, not some gangster with a pocket knife for backup, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there's even the line when when he's he's yelling at Paul about the um about the the safe getting stolen because there's that little I love that little reveal where he's like you know we don't even use this safe anymore who would want to steal it and he's like Paul don't tell me Paul and then the scene he's like why was it on one of our properties why don't you just rape me Paul <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah why don't you just rape me It was a fantastic line. oh
1: yeah it's he's so fucking good in this movie and I mean even what
2: the fuck is it doing on one of our properties why don't you just fucking rape me Paul
1: pull the troops together break some bones hurt some people results you hear me I'll take care of it you're damn straight you're gonna fucking take care of it the word excuse does not exist in Sam Gold's lexicon or the walking dead until you fucking remedy this situation
2: you understand I'll take care of it no I said, do you understand? Yes. You better. His,
1: not really his final scene, but like what his big scene at the end is the whole like that sequence of Statham at his bed at night and then Statham in the elevator and then him with the gun pointing it at Statham when he gets out of the elevator and he's like, fear, fear me. And then the way it cuts back to that later, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm I'm like, this is just amazing to watch you know and that's what I like I saying, I love that Guy Ritchie clearly knew what he wanted from this movie and Ray Liotta must have been tapped into that character because there's just like every time he's on screen I'm just like this is awesome
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, Ray Liotta's performance is definitely a standout Uh, I personally so this might just be because of how much I love Kingsman but uh, Sorter. Oh, yeah. 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 It, like his performance. And then like even when he he turns on them at the end, it's like his performances aren't necessarily like it's not like full of emotion, but it's like full of emotion in a weird way mm-hmm. where, it's, mm-hmm. where he's like, you can tell he's this this like maybe even borderline psychopath person. Who's who's having to deal with things that he's never had to deal with, like personal failure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they yeah, very Mark Strong the actor. Mark Strong's great, and like you said in Kingsman. I think that's where everybody knows him from these days. Um, even though he's been around, you know, for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, Just the, he was in
1: the choice to like have his choice in this performance to like he not only, he has like a stuttle mumble mumble type of thing. Where he's he's very yeah. like reserved, but you said he almost comes across as like psychopathic and all that stuff. Like I check, love his scene with um <laughs> yeah yeah check 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 that she's dead. I, I love that um in the when he misses at the start because you know um, Statham sees the uh, the pick this but, up yeah, card. But- and like, he's in the car with Slim Biggins, and he's like, he's like, you never miss. And he's like, I never miss. And he's like, stop talking to me, because I'm never missing. I'm definitely not going to miss it this close of a range. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Like, let alone three times. Uh... Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, but yeah, the whole thing with him in the um, the assassin scene at the restaurant, where it just shows him walking through the kitchen very nonchalantly, I'm just like, this is, this is just badass. This is what oh, Guy absolutely. Ritchie is... This is the stuff he should be leaning into more, and not this like Buddhist, Kabbalistic, you know, thematic ideas. Lean into the story more of just showing these characters be good at what they do, because that's what a, like Brad Pitt is the boxer, and then the pikey yeah. stuff and Snatch, and you know, um, well, and it,
0: that's arguably yeah. one of the reasons this movie got very bad reviews is that apparently it was advertised very heavily as uh, like a mafia movie.
1: Oh, okay, okay. And then it,
0: and then you watch it, and it's like it's trying to be very heady. And yes. it's like, that's, yeah. that's not what I signed up for yeah. when I bought my movie. Yeah. Ticket, that's, you a, know? that's
1: a good point. Yeah. That, the, the mafia stuff is very much just a, a it, setting. It, it's almost the mise en scene yeah. of the movie. It's yeah. like, you know, okay. It's like this room's going to take, this story is going to take place, you know, in a city. What's going on in the city? Mob stuff, <laughs> drug <laughs> deals, you know? And it's yeah. like, okay.
0: <laughs> oh God. That's some of the other stuff I read from reviews. They were like, the city they're in is obviously the chessboard, and Sam Gold <laughs> is Satan, and and I was like, you guys, oh man, I don't know what you're on. Yeah, that is some, uh, and I don't is... even know if I want any of it. That, that sounds is exactly
1: rough. what I like to call cracked.com bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some someone is getting paid to write uh, a article with buzzwords in the title that is then just total nonsense, and they're just like, okay, I wrote it in thirty minutes, <laughs> Mister
0: Clandestine. Mr. Clendis, Mr. Mystery.
1: Mr. Mystery. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sorter See? is awesome. And that, that final scene with him turning on everybody is it's glorious. Incre- and even the way it's edited with like the panels and stuff, absolutely fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, and like, I just, I love, you know, the, the, the daughter's out and Paul is going to do whatever gross thing he's going to do to her. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. They're not really setting it up like he's going to rape her or anything, but I think he's like going to make her watch him him light his dad her dad yeah, on fire. Or yeah, because I
1: think one of the characters says he like calls Maka and he says something like, you know, and like then the found out the little girl's there and Paul got excited as he does and it shows him like r- running his hands through her hair or something like yes, that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very Joe Biden. Um <laughs> you know like he's almost sniffing her. Um <laughs> and and you know it, it sorta is just like No.
1: Yeah he's like that's like enough we, or something. Like we don't
0: yeah, yeah he said he says that's enough and, and Paul says uh, we're something like we're gonna have a disagreement or we're gonna have a dispute or something mm-hmm. like if if you interrupt me again and Sorter just fucking blows him away.
1: Yeah, and I even think there's some great touches with Sorter. I think it might be to Paul or someone else in that in that big like scene of Sorters at the end where he doesn't even shoot the guy through the head. He like points his gun like through his neck or something and fire. There's like some weird angled shots that I'm just like. I don't know if that's the best way to shoot somebody because movies have only told me to shoot them directly in the head. You know, like The Departed, like 38,000 people get shot in the head in that movie. But I'm Mm. like, but I believe that Sorter is the best hitman and he knows how to kill somebody immediately type of thing.
0: Sure. So I'm buying he, he whatever kno- he's putting down. <laughs> he he knows how to kill them. However, he wants them to die. I think is yeah, how, how we should take it. Yeah. And if, if if he wants them to suffer, maybe that's what he's going. Sure, for. sure. <laughs> and you know when it comes to Paul, like if he wants Paul to suffer, I I'm th- I'm here for it. Like shot in the neck, you're definitely debilitated.
1: Yes. Yes. It's gonna take you a little while to die.
0: I'm fine with that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I yeah,
0: I you totally. Busy dig sniffing that. little girls, you can. <laughs> Spend some time on the ground bleeding. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But, and, and then, like, the the follow-up with the little girl, he's just like, he says something like, go get back in the cabinet. The the adults are playing pretend. Yes, yes. And and it's just like, oh, my God, like, Sorter's actually, like, a decent person, you know, because we don't get any, incl- any reason to believe that he has, like, a particularly easygoing or, or like, protective or, or you know, pr- paternal side at all. Definitely. But I, I will say, like, his character, I think, could make sense as if he became kind of psychopathic because he was exper- he experienced bad things as a child then his desire to protect this child from experiencing those bad things like makes perfect sense
1: exactly and, and so
0: th- it's like he's a psychopath most of the time but when it comes to protecting this little kid from this fucked up thing he's he picks the you know the other side
1: yeah and and that that i i think sorter's character and how much I don't know about the mass consensus, but it's like, you know, I think if, if most people watch this movie, even if you think it's a mess, even if you don't like it overall, like like, like uh, if you're less uh, less uh, like into this movie than you are, Ben, I think mm-hmm. nobody's going to walk away from this and be like, you know, Sorter was stupid. Like, I didn't like that character. He's he's written the correct amount in this movie where you are projecting like good things on him, e- even though, like you said, we don't have a lot of backstory. You can be like, no, I totally get this character. I understand mm. this character. He's cool. He does some like good stuff at the end, and you're just like, "This is perfect. This is all I need." And I, I think Guy Ritchie's done that before with other characters, where it's like, "There's no I great mean, Brad story Pitt as the pikey Exactly. There's no, like, grand detail. There's no, like, flashback giving you all this information. It's, like, it's doing the work that a movie should, you know? It's telling mm-hmm. you a little bit, and the rest you're able to fill in from, you know, the context clues, from the, the the way he interacts with people, the character interacts with people. And it's just like, that's perfect. That's all we need.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, if this movie, if they just made a movie about Sorter, like, I'd probably watch it. Right?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm totally with you. I love his scene while we're on him when he goes to kill lord john and he's firing through the little hole in the wall while watching the um security cameras yeah i am all into that i and even then because he he goes he goes in that room he kills all those like the people in there like the guys who are supposed to be watching the security cameras who like playing a card game and then as he's like preparing to shoot lord john someone knocks on the door door. and he, he like he does like he like looks back Positions himself, looks again, positions, and then boom, just like blows the guy away. And I'm like, oh my god, it's so clean,
0: it's so cool. <laughs> he he does miss though in that scene. Uh, he doesn't hit uh, John.
1: Yes, yes. The
0: first time, uh, it, and then and then he hits where John was the second time, yeah, and then he finally yeah. hits John. Um, but but that was something. I I don't I I definitely was like, oh, I thought he wasn't supposed to miss. Like I thought he was supposed to be able, be good at shooting through walls and shit yeah um, you know, yeah the point yeah
1: yeah <laughs> uh,
0: uh, apparently you know that might have been an, a new one pushing him pushing him a little bit to try to use a security camera through a wall it's yeah. like you don't even entirely know where that security camera is so who knows but yeah but no that that's some good shit uh, i I especially like like the look on his face like he almost looks like a little confused he's like, do I sh-? like there's a moment where, <laughs> where I can feel him thinking like do I just shoot him through the door? Like, yeah yeah and then he looks back and then he's like all right and then he's you know and then he does it and it's yeah uh, once again i, I think you can too. you
1: can project that calcul that he's doing those calculations onto him you know it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very very well-written and well-performed character and like i said i think it's it's the one you gotta leave this movie and probably you said it best i think most people who watch this movie go like oh, i don't understand what the fuck that was and that was weird but man i would have watched a whole movie about that assassin guy <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure well and you know if honestly if they were to come back and make a sorter slash merlin (laughs) style mechanic like (laughs) mechanic like but with better writing uh movie i'm i'm all into it oh
1: absolutely yeah i'd watch it definitely um oh yeah so yeah sorter's awesome ray liota's awesome all the performances but the one the one i want to get to is because we talked about it in Snatch and Lockstock and you know we we set the stage up with our earlier episodes talking about Statham where crank and mechanics that you know critics call him like a, a depthless actor like he's he doesn't have you know he does one shtick and he and he like sticks with it that type of mm-hmm. thing of course we disagreed because he's given a lot to do in by Guy Ritchie in Lockstock and uh, Snatch I think less so later on I don't think his performance is very nuanced or depthful in Wrath of Man from what no, I remember it's, it's because not. it's just like I gotta get revenge you know that type of thing yeah but you know he's given a lot to do in Lockstock etc and Snatch he's given the most to do in this movie absolutely I don't know if he has another movie where he has he is given more to do than Revolver
0: uh well you know maybe Operation Fortune Rouge the Gare but <laughs> yes. we'll... Which, we may never know,
1: which we still have no knowledge of if it's coming out in America. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 keep that'll be like you know twenty years from now to be like Ben. I don't know why we'll be that old in twenty years, but <laughs> Ben, the old that Guy Ritchie movie came out, and you're gonna be like, what? <laughs> and then we might have to do an episode on it. No, but, well, yeah, yeah, there's still no info on <laughs> but. Not only do I love Statham's performance in this movie, I kind of think, and once again, this is some rationalization for me, I'm, I'm sure, but not solely in this movie. I think this is kind of like the evolution of Guy Ritchie's and Statham's kind of working together because, because of course, they work together a lot. You know, I think for the beginning of Guy Ritchie's career, like Statham is his muse. You know, we talked about their history I together, in like
0: every movie yeah. that Guy Ritchie does for a while.
1: Yeah, and. And I think that, you know, one of the things that gets set up in Lockstock, then gets set up even more so in Snatch, is that Statham is
0: this... I, Guy Ritchie likes Statham's voice. Exactly. Not, not only like, does he like his
1: voice, but he's given all these kind of narration scenes and like and he's he does the the opening narration for Lockstock after they're doing the the card game uh, and they run from the from the Bobbies or whatever. And then, you know, he's he's Turkish in uh, in Snatch, where he's talking, you know, he's giving a lot of internal monologue, and then this movie he's given so much internal monologue that it's not just you know, like recapping the events of the movie, it's going on in scenes, you know, like when he's dealing with um you know, Andre 3000 like, Yeah, yeah uh, with
0: Avi, when, when they're at the first um Lone Shark Yeah, yeah, scene.
1: and it's happening so densely that then there's this evolution that it's the moment, the the reveal of the voice in the head, where, like, Statham, in his internal monologue, says something, and then Avi responds with the exact words Jason Statham just spoke in his head, and he does, like, a yeah, whole zoom in, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, that's so fucking cool. Like, Guy it's... Ritchie, over three movies, has, like, grown us, gotten us accustomed to Jason Statham's internal monologue as a device for storytelling, and then has now made it, like, an actual character to some extent.
0: <laughs> uh yeah, that that's on the, the when they're hitting golf balls yeah. very recklessly out of yes. the city. Yes. Um which is the chessboard and um And you can't I don't know tell me otherwise, knocking, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they're not knocking over chess pieces, but but there's there's
1: something for. about that to me, like that just that moment not so much in this movie being, like, the reveal that, like, the ego has convinced you that it's you, but just the way that Guy Ritchie has kind of, you know, to use the phrase, or use the motif, he's been setting up these pieces, and us kind of watching these three movies, you know, in somewhat order, because we did Snatch first, that it's, he's kind of, he's kind of pulled the long con on us, Ben. <laughs> I, I find it great. I love that notion. And
0: what's the long con exactly?
1: Uh, that that Statham's monologue—he he like we is a character. Is a character, yes. Okay. That is—is is this reveal that it has this other layer to a movie than a, a storytelling device of narration?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like—is is it me playing head games with you? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then it all—it all comes together in definitely my favorite scene in the movie. I mean, a scene that you know that, that there's a handful of scenes from movies that it's like. Oh, if I think of them or they pop into my head, I will just go and watch that scene. You know, it's like the um, it's like the last fifteen minutes of The Wrestler is great. I could watch that like you know every week. Um, it, it's it, the, the Southland Tales. It's a small moment. Oh, the, the music scene and uh, the Jason, Justin Timberlake's you know musical number in Southland Tales is great. You can just pull that up on YouTube and enjoy it for two minutes. Also, The Rock saying to Byling. Ling says, "What would happen if a man shook hands with himself?" And The Rock says. It would rip a hole in the space-time continuum, you stupid bitch, and then knocks her over. <laughs> I could watch. I could watch that on on loop. You stupid bitch.
2: You made sure Tavner went through the time rift with me. Then you hit
0: the SUV self-destruct trigger by remote, which means I didn't kill myself.
2: You're a pimp. Pimps don't commit suicide. Oh, you got that right. Roland Tabler,
0: his twin brother, and are the same person, aren't they?
2: Two identical souls walking the face of the Earth, coexisting in the same dominion of chaos. dimension will collapse upon itself oh, you stupid bitch um.
1: <sighs> jason statham in the elevator scene i love the way that that is so chaotic i love the way it's edited i love the uh, the, the him, sound him distortion yes i am so into that and I, it it just clicks with me on every level where I'm like it's chaos, it's noise, it's it's you know a. a, a it actually reminds of me of, of
0: Crank, uh, of him yelling at um, the dude that Chevios. No, she yeah, is Chevios. Yeah, yeah. Him yelling at uh, the guy who poisoned him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. it, it reminds me of that.
1: Absolutely, and and I believe I mentioned it our Crank episode when he's on pills. Jason Statham's on pills at the end, and he's freaking out in the elevator i was like this is gonna come up again ben (laughs) and i mean i love i'll have to put some of the clips in but like the way that the the audio is is done in that scene like i love the distortion like when the the ego Mm -hmm. is screaming back at jason statham and it's like pitch being pitched down it's being drawn out in some cases and it's like you know the there's a a very big part of me that wanted like my opening quote for this just be i am you you know that type of thing I'm enthralled by that scene. And I think that's the moment of, um, like I mentioned earlier, his enlightenment, uh, Jake Green's enlightenment, where he's able to realize that, you know, this voice in his head, it needs to be tampered down. That This notion of materialism and all this stuff that it's been building to, he needs to, like, defeat it to some extent. And then the way that it's played with, I mean, I love the scene where, you know, it, like— gets quiet for a minute, and it does, like, the the jump scare type thing of, like, Jason Statham's head popping back into frame, and he's like, ha ah, still here, Jake! You know, that type of thing. Um, yeah. It's all just so fucking cool.
0: <laughs> uh, I definitely knew that you were gonna gush over that scene a little bit. Like, it just felt very Rob when I'm, <laughs> right when I'm watching on. it. Yeah. Just, like, you know, colors and chaotic, and yeah, so um, I'm glad I was proven right.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice. Nice. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean...
0: Wherever you don't want to go
1: is where you will find him. What is it that you're afraid
2: of, Mr. Green? (laughs) (laughs) To you. <laughs> <laughs> who takes care of the good times jake we're a team we're best pals jake <laughs> you want to get rid of me you know life without me you don't know life without me do you know life without me no because it doesn't exist do they talk about me jake no because i don't exist protect tell all your friends you. about I me you, then jake protect you i protect you and i control you when i say do you obey, if I say you're scared. YOU'RE SCARED! Been listening to the other side, ain't you, Jake? Listening to people that want to hurt you, Jake. New people! New! Not old friends like me! People you shouldn't trust. trust. Not me. I've been your friend forever, since the beginning. Get rid of them, Jake. Forever. They're the enemy, not me. They're new! I'm old! I stay, they go! I say, you do! <laughs> you're weak without me. Weak. It's us against them, Jake. Has against them. I'm coming to get you. You want to get rid of me, Jake? You want to make an enemy out of me? You want to get rid of me? Do ya? Do ya? You? you want to get rid of me? Me, me, me. Boom. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Still here, Jake? Look after you! You can't win this one without me. Oh, no, no, no. You know why? I am you. You ain't me. The greatest con that he ever pulled was making you believe that he is you. You ain't me. Me. Come on, your best fucking friend. I am you. You don't control me, I control you.
1: Of course the editing helps a good bit but I think it is a incredibly strong showing for Jason Statham as an actor like
0: oh yeah he looks like the the ego looks so disheveled and
2: mm-hmm, like mm-hmm.
0: I don't I don't know how else to describe it other than like it, it looks like it's losing grasp it's losing yeah, its control yeah. like it's yeah he he does a very good job of kind of personifying that
1: Definitely and that's what I was mentioning earlier about I think where that that's the scene where it really comes through to me where it's like Okay, I think it was a great decision to give Jason Statham hair because if he was bald in this whole movie, like the, the delineation between the ego and Jake Green's character is not as embellished in that scene. Um, the hair Definitely. and everything lets you really know that there are two sides or two like factions battling against each other.
0: Right. Well, and you know the, the lighting and stuff is different, and and the clothing is like a little more disheveled. Yeah. In, yeah. in the one, but but no, I, I I figured when you were talking about it, that that's the scene that you had in mind because his hair is it's like in front of his face more when he's the ego, and it's like up in his normal like pompadour thing. Yeah. Not really yeah. Pompadour thing. Um. Whenever he's whenever we're looking at the real Jake.
1: Yeah. Um, And I I also think that 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 whole scene is a testament to not only, like I said, the the Jason Statham's ability to perform, but I think it also is a testament to how, how good Guy Ritchie is as a director of actors and how well they work together. Because I mean, we didn't really talk about it with Guy Ritchie in any of his other movies, but you know, with the editing style and like the storytelling style we mentioned where things are not happening linearly, or or, you know chronologically jason statham had to film everything for that elevator scene like not in sequence you know so there had to be like okay we're gonna do these takes where you are jake green and you are like whispering yourself like like get out of my head or whatever he's whispering and being very calm then they have to like reset and change positions Mm -hmm. and he has to do all the crazy stuff and then and then it's probably like I'm sure they did a bunch of takes of that because that's not hard to reset or anything. I mean, you'd have to do maybe like, oh, you do all the the not disheveled ones, you do all the disheveled ones, but then maybe they're working together and or Guy Ritchie's like, oh, I want to get, maybe we try this or maybe we try this. And so it's not hard to reset. It's not like they have to reset squibs or clean anything, you know, um, <laughs> it's not like they, at the end of Cabin in the Woods when um the, the merman bites the guy and it gushes, like, 20 gallons of blood. Oh. And they're like, well, yeah. we can only really do this twice, you know, because it takes so long to reset. I'm sure that there were a lot of back-and-forth takes with Statham, you know, playing these two different characters or mentalities of the same character. And just for it to come together so seamlessly and for it to work as well as it does, you know, is is just... Amazing. And that's a pure confluence of performances, editing, sound design. And it's like, you know, if that's why I love that scene so much and say you could just go watch that scene. Removing that scene from the nonsense and convoluted nature of the story. It's just like, wow, this is pure like filmmaking. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's great. Everybody, everybody should go see that. It's got to be on YouTube, I'm sure. I don't know a good revolver elevator scene, I guess. And then it's followed up with the fear me stuff from Ray Liotta, which
0: is right. amazing. Where he's like yeah. Whining,
1: yeah. Fear oh, yeah. him, him tearing up and crying, and, and Jason Sifrit just walking past him is wonderful.
0: Right. Well, and of course that's supposed to be like the the culmination of the fact that, that Jason Statham has his ego under control while while already Leota's character doesn't or whatever.
1: His Nirvana moment. Yeah. Is what I see it as for sure.
0: Yeah. I I thought it was really strange that like they pitted him against somebody else who like specifically didn't have his ego in control Mm -hmm. to, it's like a whole, a whole, one of the whole premises of this movie is like, you have to play against smarter people to get smarter. So it's like, why is he allowed to play against somebody whose ego is out of control? Sure. To get his ego into control. Like I, I I thought that was a little strange.
1: No, I'm I'm with you. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> but actually so uh this is this is a tangent. Okay. You said um not linear and then and then you said non sequitur, um kind of as a correction. I'm I'm reminded there are times during magic where I'll like describe an effect to somebody and they'll like oh so it's exponential. I'm like, Well it's it's actually just linear. Like, like, sure, I, like sure. I don't, I don't yeah. know why you're saying exponential to me. Like, Do you experience that in real life? Like, do you, do you come uh, like people are just like, oh, this relationship's exponential. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs>
1: Like, oh it's, yeah, it's a yeah. linear function. Absolutely, yeah. There's, that's, there's, we live in the age of buzzwords, you know. Everyone well, has and, their own buzzword.
0: <laughs> right, and you know, it's like even during COVID stuff, they would be like, "Oh, it's exponential." It's like that's logarithmic.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. I
0: think <laughs> we've, we've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, what do you, what do you say? Like, I don't. You're just like pretending that you know what words mean. And anyway. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Right on.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, some of the I I do want to know if there are other scenes you wanted to highlight, but on the on the direction and stuff, I absolutely love the camera work of. It happens a few times. One is really extended. It's when um, uh, Statham and Andre Three Thousand are playing chess together. I love a lot of the shots that are like from the perspective of the chessboard with them in the background, like, like from, like from the chessboard up to their faces and the way the camera tracks the chessboard. I love a lot of that stuff. And I think that's, I think that's just compositing. Like they just Mm -hmm. filmed the characters, you know, at a reasonable distance and used a, a, like a uh, macro lens or something, or you know, to get the actual chess pieces and then just basically you know matted them together. Um, but it looks so cool, and I, I love that notion uh, for sure. I guess I should also ask you, which might might have been better asked near the start, but we didn't do it because we had to talk about Jason Statham with hair, uh, clearly more important. Um, are you a are you a chess dude? Are you a chess player, Ben?
0: <laughs> no, chess. Uh, chess is a game I never picked up. Like I, I don't get me wrong. I've played chess. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like. I never cared enough about it to try to get good at it. Like I, I, I never put in the effort to like read about like appropriate chess moves and shit like that. Definitely,
1: like, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I know how to play it, but I, like, I know the rules exactly. Yeah, that's where I am. I have not played chess in many years, but I like it as a storytelling thing. I, well, maybe not. Maybe it kind of does fall into the pretentious category because maybe more tropish because it's been. I think it's it's used so often as a. You know, like, okay, we want to explain, like, that uh, a character or a story is, like, very smart, and you got to think many moves ahead. And because that's like the thing with chess, it's like, oh, to be good at chess, you have to think about a bunch of possibilities and how things are going to happen in the future based on, you know, uh, knowing your opponent and things like that. I do, I don't hate that storytelling trope or that idea of using chess as a placeholder for, like, this is like a, a. you have to you have to understand the the whole perspective of the board type of
0: thing. Right. For what it's worth, chess is not solved. Oh but, yeah, that's but right. But there's no yeah, reason to yeah. believe it is unsolvable.
1: Okay, right on. <laughs> so right in everybody. Have you solved chess?
0: <laughs> um and for those who want to know, a solved game is a game whose outcome can be correctly predicted from any position assuming that both players play perfectly. So and perfectly probably means something.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, any other, any, any scenes you wanted to highlight? Or, I mean, we talked about a lot of the performances. I don't know if there was any, what else, what else stood out to you in this movie?
0: Uh, there's definitely some titties. Uh, there are only with John though. Uh, Dorothy Maca never has exposed titties near him. <laughs> Lord John does. <laughs> I, I also like Lord John. Like, I mean, if are if you're going for the whole Satan thing, when I, after I read that, I was like, Oh, I wonder if they're like trying to do a biblical thing. Mm-hmm like john the baptist or something sure um if it's there i didn't i didn't pick it up i don't know what it is
1: oh yeah and I, I i've never fully gotten uh, I, I like you like i said earlier i've, I've read some of that religious stuff religious takes that like throughout the years of me knowing about this movie um i've never gotten any of that you know and so I, i've never even attempted to like sit down with a with someone's long-winded interpretation and and try and fit it to this movie to see where they're coming from. I'm always just like, like I said, that crack.com bullshit.
0: (laughs) Right. I don't know if there's any final scenes I want to hit or anything like that, but I I do want to, like, take one last moment to talk about the Ego. I I don't think my interpretation's wrong in the sense that I think that Deepak Chopra and those people are wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But this movie, I may have been wrong about the conflating of of the two ideas. Okay. Um, I think that it is possible that Guy Ritchie... Wrote a movie about characters for which the Deepak Chopra thing was mostly true. Sure, sure. That being said, if he had actually had that disease, that would have been a prime example of that not being true. So, I don't know. Take that for what you will.
1: I I knew when we were watching this movie and us discussing, I knew you were going to have takes on the story and the themes and stuff like that. And uh, and I'm with you, you know, uh, for sure. But I, I think that's that's one of the things where. You know, this is so, going back to the guy Richie writing it, and, you know, maybe no one's telling him no. There is just so much jammed into this movie that I think that, you know, without the self editing of a more, you know, like uh, thematically inclined movie, maybe one doesn't really come to my head right now, that it, it just comes across as, like, well, it's the uh, the analogy I love, I think we love, where it's like, you know, you're trying to figure out this, this, the themes of this with what they present to you is like trying to fit a carpet into a room that is too small of it. Every time you push down one corner, another corner pops up. And mm-hmm. I think Guy Ritchie just has so much going on in this movie that it's like, it, it's impossible for it to all come across as cohesive.
0: Sure, yeah. It's definitely not all complete.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Oh. This this is not a solved movie, if you will. Yeah,
1: no, I'm with you, <laughs> and neither is Southland Tales, even after reading the uh, supplementary comic book material. Um, but man, there's just something I love so much about movies that do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're you're real into those uh, unsolved movies.
1: Yeah, you're also into
0: unsolved mysteries. I think
1: I am. Is... I am. Yes. Uh, I, it, another movie that I think of. Uh, Objectively speaking, uh, a better movie than Southland Tales in this that I find also very similar in its somewhat somewhat convolutedness, but not nearly as convoluted. I think it's like the light version. Uh, L I T E version of these. Um Under the Silver Lake, I think is very mm-hmm. in a, in a similar vein to this as well. And I fucking love that movie too.
0: <laughs> For a second I thought you were going to say Memento and I was like, Rob. No.
1: <laughs> no, no, as we've described, Memento, Memento is, probably- is the uh the calculus of the movie world. <laughs> <laughs> if you're dumb you think it's smart. If you are smart you think oh it's just
0: pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Like, yeah the fast fourier transforms it's like you know if if you're if you're dumb that's gonna look like magic <laughs>
1: yeah exactly
0: if you're smart you're like that's neat
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yep <yeah>, absolutely <laughs> yeah I'm thinking of people who don't know know the bare minimum of calculus seeing like a fairly complicated integral and being like oh, I'm a genius you know and right. then that you see mento and like i figured i know we talked about that episode but like I figured it out I understand memento and you'd be like you don't really. You don't even need to write anything down to figure it out. You just have to watch the movie. You know? It's like using the power rule for anti differentiation. It's like you don't really have to do any steps. You know,
0: that's. I I love that. You don't even have to write anything down to understand that. Movie. That's, that's perfect.
1: I I think I, just some small moments I want to mention. Uh, we highlighted some parts of it, but I really do like the. Um, the the notion and this has nothing to do with the themes or anything it's a it's a great guy Richie, just like story act or not story uh, like action sequence I love the, the Ray Liotta's bodyguards holding him down and he sees the assassin on the ground and gets his finger shot off you know yeah yeah um, that's just a great notion that all these goons are freaking out and I love that they're like holding him down like holding his head down and there's like the shot the cut it's not even a cut it's like just the shot of him under the table being like, you know, everybody's screaming and it's chaos, and then the camera pans up to all the goons just waving their guns around, not knowing where to look or what's going on, but they just know to keep him down, and keeping him down is the worst possible place he could be. Like, that's a great little sequence. Uh, I I really like, I I just had to point, it's not a scene, it's a shot. It's in in the scene where... um, he's there describing the back the backstory between like what happened after Statham in the two years Statham after he got out of jail and he does, does all the stuff with the three Eddies and he's running the formula to um you know basically take money from one give it to the other and all that stuff there is the, sh- the shot where like I think Avi or something says like oh then you went on like an extended vacation with your brother and, and his daughter and there's just an image of like Jason Statham and his brother and the and the girl on a beach but Jason Statham is has this big shit eating grin with a, some
0: Brero on and a ukulele <laughs> that might only be in the version you have oh really okay it is real quick but i it's there's like even the the eddies like in in some of the reviews i was reading they mentioned the eddies and i was like i don't recall anybody called the eddies in the oh the version of the version
1: that's interesting okay um,
0: um it's like they don't really tell us how he made his money in the version i watched they just it's it's just like he made his money by by running using the formula That's all they say.
1: Well, well, Ben, now that is fantastically interesting because that gives us another great connection. If you remember, we only discussed one of the versions of Southland Tales on this podcast. I have joked for a long time that we can revisit the other version. And now clearly, Ben, we could do the same thing for Revolver. (laughs)
0: Uh, I'd rather just watch Missing again. Can we do that? That's,
1: I, I figured you'd say something along those lines. <laughs> I mean, oh, we could do... And then um, I know we talked about it, but speaking of Memento, there is a version on one of the DVD re- releases of Memento where the scenes are edited to be in chronological order. <laughs> we could watch that version, <laughs> too.
0: <laughs> I bet you that version's, like, not that interesting. No, yeah,
1: I, I think I... Whatever I might, it probably was the Memento episode, but I'm sure we talked. We've talked about it once, where I think both you and I are like that makes that takes the only
0: interesting concept of that movie and removes it. <laughs> right. Uh, but we could do it, Ben. We could do it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's more clear. I have a friend who thinks that that movie's about uh, guilt, and that he killed his wife and can't live with you know the that reality. And, and that Joe pers-
1: Pantoliano is Satan.
0: And he he is Sammy Jenkins.
1: And the guy who uh, Mark Boone Junior. Who runs the motel and is renting multiple rooms to to, to Guy Pierce is John the Baptist. I don't know who else is no, we mention.
0: That one's also Satan. They're actually all Satan.
1: <laughs> the take on Memento, Christopher Nolan's take on Memento, is that all the characters are Satan. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe some of that's a little more. No, I don't know. They're probably not. Like I, I'm sure that that movie is best. <laughs> best received in its intended form yeah i think uh i
1: think that's pretty much it i had for revolver then i, I mean i figured most of it would be the two avenues i figured we talk about are the the craziness of the story and then how well made of a movie it is um uh, yeah uh, i
0: guess we, we should we should probably talk about uh the death of slim biggins oh <laughs> And and not not only the death of Slim Biggins, but the story that Ray Liotta is told about the death of Slim Biggins, that Jason Statham slaps him, carries him like two blocks, throws him over a six foot tall wall. And then shoots him with his own shotgun. That's
1: believable, right?
0: <laughs> Definitely. It's, it's absolutely what happened. He didn't shoot himself. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I like that. I like that moment. And there's a there's a few it's a guy Ritchie thing again, and we have we see it in a lot of his movies, but it's like like when Slim Biggins shoots himself, like jumps over the wall or whatever or slides over the wall and shoots himself. We don't actually get to see him shoot himself, you know. Yeah you just see the well, you don't even see the aftermath you hear the gunshot and Jason Statham just like turns around and he's like oh look at that um, it, it's also at the beginning when he first shows up to Maka's casino and they're at the the table together and they're like they're Jason Statham's doing the I'll flip you for it thing mm-hmm. when he's flipping the um the 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 chips we never get an edit of, like, how the chip landed. We just see characters' facial reactions and stuff like that, and I, I love that notion, just, like...
0: Well, and then even when Maka loses, like, we don't even see Maka's reaction, we just see Jason say them cashing out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, once again, the, the, he's... The style is there, you know, and um, this is where his style goes up to 11 and his storytelling goes up to 11, like we already talked about. I think that's one of the things that we we probably will. We're just a, we're slowly going through Guy Ritchie's movies. I mean, uh, we will have to talk about the Sherlock Holmes movies one day because I think that's where the style is just once again amped up to 11, and it doesn't work as well for me in those movies. And I I think that's more because Robert Downey Jr. is already so – stylized as an actor and his choices and the characters he portrays mixing that with guy Ritchie is where it comes across to me as like i feel like i'm gonna overdose on this you know
0: (laughs) that's interesting i i would like to watch that movie again and then and then talk about it because i i actually did like those movies um or i liked the first one
1: i i i remember liking both of them but i also have not seen them in so damn long
0: right so i'm i'm curious if i would feel similarly about the style conflict because i i remember you know Being intrigued about Sherlock Holmes slap boxing or whatever. Um, (laughs) That's something else. There's no boxing in this movie.
1: Is that, that you, I think you're right.
0: There's no fisticuffs.
1: And there's not even, like we talked about in Lockstock, et cetera, there's not even a a scene of a boxing ring, you know, because the card game takes place in a boxing ring. So I think then you've just cracked it. That's why people didn't like this movie. They subconsciously knew it didn't have. Their ego, no, whatever, the, their sub-ego or super-ego, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what joke to make here. Realized there was no boxing in this movie.
0: <laughs> it's probably the super-ego.
1: It would have been easy enough to to get it in there. We could have had, you know, we're talking about like gambling and using this formula and stuff. They could have gambled on a boxing match or something, right? We could have thrown uh, it in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, but without, without a boxing match being fixed, there's no sure, formula. sure. Unless it's like a statistical analysis of of the boxers. Yeah, yeah. And you
2: know
0: <laughs> like, So I'm I'm sure that there was there had to be a good reason for him to leave boxing out. And, knowing he, and, Guy he, and
1: he realized, maybe also I don't think there's boxing in Swept Away with Madonna, so maybe he realized, like all oh, these two movies didn't do that well. I gotta go back to boxing, you know? And That's, yeah. And then we just off to the races. I, I because Sherlock, Holmes, well, the one after this is Rock and Roll. I also not seen Rock and Roll in a very long time, but I'd imagine right. somebody punches somebody else in that movie. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk about it someday.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's, I mean, there's a lot. That's got,
0: uh, that's got Gerard Butler in it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, Gerard Butler, Tom Hardy, uh, Tandy Newton, a bunch of other fame oh, Toby Kebbell, of course. <laughs>
0: is, is Statham even in that
1: movie? I don't think so. Um, is it
0: even a Guy Ritchie movie if Statham's not in it? Uh, <laughs> I I've
1: just This is something I found in IMDb Trivia Fact, which of course is The Bastion of Truth, which is, you know, if it's written there, it's just correct. Um, yeah. The the reasoning of, according to this uh, IMDb Fact, that this movie is called Revolver. Did you have any, any takes on why this was even titled Revolver?
0: You know, I, I think I thought about it briefly, and then I forgot to really think about it any more than that, uh, but it is it is not transparent to me.
1: No, no, definitely not, and that's something, I, I think even the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't really know why this is called Revolver, you know, and, but I never really thought about it anymore because I was so entranced by this movie. Um, So, if, if you write out the word Revolver, it's it's not a palindrome, of course, but... Notice how it's like, you know, first and last letters are R, move one space in from the beginning and end, you get the E's, then do that again, Mm -hmm. you get the V's, and then in the middle you have O and L. This matches the arrangement of chess pieces. So, like, you have near symmetry between like your back row of chess pieces, the two oh. rooks, the two bishops, the two knights, and then yeah. the, uh, then the, the queen the and king. the king. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was their take this, I, whoever wrote this IMDB fact. And you know what? When I read that, I was like, I, I actually didn't dive into it to see if I could find corroboration, like from Guy Ritchie or anything about this. I just, just like, okay, that's fairly interesting. Whatever. Um, this is one of those movies. I'm like, I have way more thoughts for myself on this movie than these IMDB things to track down.
0: Is that the right number of pieces? R, E, what do we got? We got ca- uh not castle, rook.
1: Yeah, rook. Uh, bishop, two rooks, knight? Two bishops, knight, two bishop? knights, um and then the queen and the king, yeah.
0: Okay, so it is the right number of pieces, All right?
1: Yeah, it should be eight total, because there's 16 pieces, because you get eight in the back row, eight pawns. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I read that and I'm like, you know what? That fits with the chess motif. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> Does it add anything to the movie? No, but I could see Guy Ritchie with everything else he talked about being like, ah, oh, that's, that's, a, I like that word because it matches the chess pieces. Yeah. Chess pieces, you know? And he's like, I just saw memento and I'm smart now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's kind of pretentious. Uh, oh, no. Absolutely. So, so that yeah. fits. I, I was hoping that there would be something, you know, in, in terms of like the revolving door of success or things like that, because like sure. there, there is like a notion that um, the people who have money don't keep it for very long and like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I don't think that that's fully I don't think that's fully flushed out. Yeah, I'm um, with
2: you.
1: I'm with you.
0: So no, I, that, I mean, that makes sense. And you know, like you said, it fits the, the chess motif. Um, I, I think that he should have called it Rev Lover though.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that have been cool.
0: I mean, cause if you're the, the, the white pieces, it's Rev Lover. And if you're the black oh. pieces, it's Rev right?
1: <laughs> Rev Lover is an interesting word. That would also be, um, very cool to have people, you know, see this cause this came out in 2005. So DVD, release would have been you know probably oh this was september so maybe like you know early 2006 or something like that i would love to go back in time and if this movie was called rev lover just all those people at like best buys and walmart's in the dvd section they're like what's this movie revolver and be like it is definitely not revolver
0: (laughs) yeah that that would have been the 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 greatest joke of all because (laughs) because people would still pronounce it wrong no i like it that's great
1: the greatest trick he ever played was convincing you this movie was titled revolver
0: <laughs> yeah that would be a good line in, in the movie oh
1: man oh right on um yeah but that, that's a little bit i found about that but with all that
0: being and then said, people will be like but it is revolver and then they go back and watch this house and be like oh my god it says Revolver this time what again? happened <laughs> yeah what kind of magic was this? Is this the other version? Yeah, um, absolutely. Those, those memes where it's like, you didn't realize that this meme said the too many times or whatever. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... And then you're
0: like, I I actually didn't, and now I feel weird.
1: It disheartens me. The, the times that I when I see memes or posts, and they will do that thing of including, like the end of one line will have the word the, and the start of the next line will have the word the, And I'll notice it or I'll notice like misspellings in people's posts. Whenever I notice them, I immediately ignore whatever the hell the rest of the post of the meme has to say. And I go to the comments looking for someone who pointed it out. (laughs) And it disheartens me how many times I don't see someone pointing these things out. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is I'm like, this is why the terrorists are going to win. Because nobody's calling out each other's poor like, like <laughs> grammar, on grammar and, and like spelling it's, it's and, just you're not and on formatting Reddit. on the internet. That's why the terrorists that's are going
0: to win. That's because you're on Facebook, Rob. That's why. No, I, I, <laughs> The uh, terrorists actually, are going
1: to win because I'm on Facebook.
0: <laughs> I actually uh, came across a cooking video earlier, and this dude was like making some kind of egg sandwich. And uh, pretty immediately, I was caught off guard by the fact that when he cracks one of the eggs some shell gets in oh, with his eggs
1: okay. yeah
0: he doesn't remove it
1: ooh, ooh.
0: in in the video i uh, and i'm not going to say they didn't edit out him yeah. removing it yeah. or whatever but i'm just like you should have showed that
1: Yes, that you would know? be good. That would be good to show anybody who might be like confused be like, you know, do I leave the shell on? Like is it like a is it like a boneless or bone bone in or bone out type of thing? Like is this okay?
0: Uh, I mean, it was like a tiny little piece, but that 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 actually reminds me of of it's like an, an auto insurance commercial or something that like you know, we, you don't we don't have to get that personal, like telling us you like to eat eggs with a shell on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's weird. That's a weird thing to say. Um,
1: I will always I, I find that of, of the, the modern era of memes, one of the the memes that clicks better with me. I've seen it in a few different formats, but the best one I think I've ever seen is just an image of a McDonald's like cheeseburger. And there's a mm-hmm. bite taken out of it, but it. Looks as if the bite has been taken out of it while the wrapper is still on, <laughs> and the caption is: "Do you guys eat your cheeseburgers with the, with or without the skin?" And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, that fucking clicks with me, man. <laughs> that's stupid enough for me to love it. <laughs> stupid <laughs> and of... obscure enough for me to love it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty funny. <laughs> with or without the skin?
1: Yeah, I love, I love.
0: That. I think I've I've seen things like that about like watermelons like do you eat oh, watermelons yeah, yeah. without the skin <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like i don't think i don't think you're supposed to eat the watermelon rind like, yeah that's...
1: exactly yep yeah, anyway. <laughs> that is some good shit um speaking of good shit as ben you alluded to earlier and i think it is no surprise uh cinemonities and late night this movie it is good shit i am a hundred percent to both. This is absolutely a cinemodity. I think it falls in the category of, like we said, unfettered creativity. It is just, there's something so fascinating to me about these projects, how weird they get. And it is it is just perfect. And Late Night, probably for the same reason. Like, this is this is a movie, I, I know I mentioned it on other episodes. It's a story I love to, you know, retell, is after I watched this by myself in... Um, When I was on that holiday break alone in my on-campus apartment, I was like, oh, my God, this is so great. I want to see it again. I ended up showing it to my roommates when they came back. And um, at the end of the movie, I will never forget that Nick turned to me and said, at no point during that movie did I have any idea what was going on. (laughs) And if that's not one of the best exam or best outcomes that you can get from a a late night movie, I don't know what is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that reminds me of the, the like, Billy Madison thing, and everyone in this room is dumber yes, for having listened yes. to this.
1: May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> um, At n- no point is what you said anything resembling a coherent response. <laughs> <laughs>
0: At no point did I understand what was going on yes, in this movie. That's yes. <laughs> great.
1: <laughs> so I have to go hundred percent to both. So what do you think? I can
0: totally I can totally picture Nick saying that too. Oh yeah, um,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> and of course it was deadpan. He was
0: serious, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. Um so I- I'm definitely gonna go Cinemodities, yes, it it's uh it's an odd, definitely an odd movie. especially with like the you know, Jason Statham's ego being its own character, like that kind of thing. Sure. Late night, I it's know your audience. I I can't like. I mean, we talked about it earlier. That review where somebody was like, "It's for an it has a narrow." Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but... I'm
1: I'm with the uh, so the uh, uh, the narrow audience is uh, people who have never seen it before. <laughs> know your audience, and if they've never seen it, you know, fucking pry their eyes open and get them to watch it.
0: Yeah. If if they've never seen it or uh, they haven't seen it recently, that's the audience.
1: With some of our answers yeah. to the other, uh, you know, like Snatch and the the Action Man, Statham movies, we discussed the Mechanics and, and and Crank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know we've talked about that where it's like, oh, you like Jason Statham movies? Because we've we've also talked about it. it's like Jason Statham is such a reliable actor. Like we in in the, like Crank in the Mechanics episode, I know we said like, oh, you sit down for a Jason Statham movie, you know exactly what you're going to get. You know, people are going to point guns at him. There's going to be action. He's going to k- punch somebody in the face. It's going to be it's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. I I kind of like this as well you know this might be like they they might not you know let you choose movies anymore, but someone's like, "Oh yeah, I love like the transporter movies and the mechanics and whatever that movie like Parker or whatever where he's a hitman that we I haven't seen, but I think we talked about briefly the one where he drives a lot." Yeah, and it's Parker. like you know I love a I love a Jason Statham movies, and you're like, "Oh, I got one. Have you ever seen Revolver? Oh, that sounds great. It's about guns. Jason Statham, perfect." And then they it's sit. about a
0: gun that revolves. Through,
1: then they sit through this. <laughs>
0: No, I'm totally with you. This uh, this kind of breaks the mold or or deviates from the mold uh, when it comes to Jason Statham movies. But uh, as do the first two Guy Ritchie movies yeah. as well. Yeah. Wrath of Man is is maybe an exception when it comes to Guy Ritchie and Statham. Like that's where we're actually getting Definitely. a little bit of Statham doing what Statham does with Guy Ritchie. But but for whatever reason, like Guy Ritchie knows how to knows how to get him to do. Different things. Exactly. Yeah. Than than what he normally does. Which is, like
1: you said earlier, which is one of the damn, one of the most fucking important reasons we need to see Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre. We want to see what they can do together, you know?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely, definitely want to know is it, is Jason Salem playing Action Man or is he playing. Emotional narrator.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. What one day, Ben. Emotional,
0: relatable narrator.
1: One day, like I said, three years from now, when we are old and decrepit, <laughs> and our lives are nearly up, our make-a-wish for old people will be to see this movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Uh, you should make a wish for that. I'll come to the screening, and then we'll have to figure out what mine's going to be for, so we can double dip. Okay,
1: know? okay. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well then that brings us to snacks in the restaurant and I I have very little for this. I think I only really have one thing. I this is of course even though I've seen this movie so many times I was way jacked into the uh, the, the taking notes and thinking about this movie and all that stuff um, and just being enthralled by it so I, don't, I really don't have a lot um, but I figured why not at the restaurant if it's if it's still happening, I think it still happens at restaurants and in just any establishment uh, people still pay in cash. Uh, $12 bills is what we give our change in at the restaurant, you know? Sure. And of course it's not real currency. It's, it's the fake movie prop, $12 bills. Right.
0: right. So, you know, we're making more money because we're not actually giving the change.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. It's
0: it's just a piece of paper with the word 12 written on it. Yeah. (laughs) And then some of them are in crayon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We're on the same page right there. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think um, just from the discussion of, of the name Revolver, I, I think we need to have, like, a some kind of dish on the menu that... I don't know, maybe, maybe it could just be a Revolver. Like, you order a Revolver and you just, like, get a chessboard. Uh, okay, or, like, you okay. order a chessboard and they bring you a loaded gun. <laughs> you, you know? Like, that kind of thing. I I think I think definitely that one. Like, you order a chessboard and we bring you a, a Revolver with one bullet in it. Because if you wanted a chessboard at this restaurant, it's probably because you need to kill yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah. That's not
0: how. It's not what I think. That's just the official position of the restaurant. What Ab- I'm saying
1: absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, 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 official press release to come shortly after this episode is dropped.
0: <laughs> no, I, but uh, let's see what else. What what else can we do with with this? I you, we probably probably need to do something with hair. Ooh, like Pompadour's. Okay, I
1: mean. okay. I feel like we have from a, I'd have to go check, but from a while ago, I feel like we have some version of a barber or a a salon in the restaurant. I'm sure that exists. I would like to add to that, you know, it's like, if you go to the revolver version of it or maybe or something like that, your hair, you just come out with Jason Statham's hair in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, either they cut it to look like that or give you extensions to make it look like that.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm down.
1: Um, I, I, th- I thought of another one. Um, it's the scene where Statham is on the phone with uh, Vincent uh, Pastore, and he's trying to get stuff from the old lady. Oh yeah. He's like he's like the old lady doesn't have of course doesn't have it, and he's like, Take the TV, you know. The TV doesn't work. The T V doesn't work, yeah. And Take uh, the dog. Yeah, I'm not taking the dog, you know. Um but in that scene, like Jason Statham is on the phone standing in the middle of this old woman's ratty fucking terrible looking apartment, like tenement looking apartment, and the old woman is just shuffling out with like a cup of tea and as soon as she gets to Statham, he's hangs at the phone and goes, No thanks, and leaves. <laughs> like like I like I we don't see him say like Oh, I'll take a cup of tea or something. It seems that like for the entirety of the time Statham was on the phone standing in her apartment, the woman was shambling to get tea and then finally gets it to him, and he doesn't want any. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at is if anyone wants tea, it should be delivered by this old lady, and it's gonna take fucking forever so long that the people are basically ready to like pay the pay their tab and leave type of thing. Yeah,
0: they just don't want any anymore. Yeah, and the
1: woman will forever be upset that she can't give tea to anybody.
0: <laughs> Do we have a revolving door for the entry? I don't
1: think so, but that's a good one. I like, I like, I've not walked through a revolving door in a very long time, I
0: think. We have a revolving door, but then, you know, it's like once you would start to be going back out, there's actually just like lasers or something that kill you because <laughs> you're not allowed to believe.
1: Perfect, perfect. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's all I have for the restaurant.
0: No, I definitely don't have a ton. Um okay. I think we need pizza, coffee and porn. Just I don't know in in a room, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's like you can watch porn with a bunch of other people and have and wait for on pizza and coffee, you never actually get it.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Yep. Cuz cuz you know Slim Biggins throws it at the ground when he sees yeah. uh, Jason Statham yeah, sees or whoever he's chasing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> While um uh, Avi and Zach sit in a hot tub outside.
0: <laughs> Yeah, we could be upstairs watching the dirty channel. Or yeah. Whatever.
1: Yep, yep. Bookin crazy movie. Crazy movie. I love it. Um well then Ben, I guess then that leaves us with how are we going to end this episode and um uh I, I think that the the since we watched these two different versions of the movie, um we should take the ending of uh my thought is we take the ending of uh, some of the 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 psychiatrist uh you know academic pondering about this movie. Um, and mix it with the piano music that plays over a black screen uh, for my version of the movie, and just lay them, layer them over, and play them in reverse. What do you think?
0: Or All we right. could play the That's entire. Great...
1: We could also play the entirety of the Beatles album "Revolver" in reverse. <laughs>
0: That's a great idea. But what if we just played "Hey Ya!" by Outkast?
1: That is also a good, a good uh, option for sure. Andre, we mentioned it before. I just want to highlight that again. Andre Benjamin is great in this movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he does does a good job.
1: Um, He's only been in a handful of uh, acting performances, and um, this this is the only one I think I've seen, and he's awesome in it, for sure. Do you remember he did a cartoon for Cartoon Network, like Andre 3000's Class of the Future, or Class of 3000, or something like that? Do you remember that at all? No, I don't. I don't think I ever watched it, but I remember seeing commercials for it.
0: Class of 3000? Yeah, I just Googled it.
1: Yeah, I, I remember it being a little more. Like I think when it came out I was a little too old for it cuz I think it was one of those like played during the day cartoon network things. Okay. Yeah, Class of 3000. Okay. So we have a lot of options for what um to what we're going to play at the end of this and it might be all of them. It might be none of them. It might be everything. Who knows?
0: <laughs> everything everywhere?
1: All at once. It might be it might be all at once. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then I guess the next thing is um if we ever get the chance to watch some more Statham, we'll do it. Absolutely, we we Mm -hmm. love a we love some Statham and some Guy Ritchie for sure. I mean, we
0: didn't even talk about the transporter movies. No,
1: no, and uh, and we got to get to that ruse de guerre. Maybe that's maybe that movie will never come out, and that is the ruse that is never going
2: to come out.